Weapons, warriors, and weepy endings. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel movie or TV show and then quizzes a second comedian. This one is a Marvel expert. This one was even taught to read using Marvel comics. We bring you the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience, the novice and the expert, hmm. the teacher and the student. Hello and welcome to a very, very special edition of of MVM as we take a look at the Infinity uh, War. And then he said the Infinity Gauntlet because I've been doing so much reading at the Infinity War, <laughs> Avengers Infinity War, and everything that that entails. This will be our biggest episode ever. Uh, I'm psyched for this. My name is Rob Heldon. I'm a comedian. I'm a writer. I'm the Marvel expert on this show. And I am joined by the man that makes it all possible because of his powerful ignorance. It's Mr. Will Preston. I actually lost 50% of my ignorance in the snap. Uh, <laughs> that's why That's why I'm quite ignorant. <laughs> Wait, no, that would make you less ignorant. If you lost 50% of your ignorance, you'd become more well versed. Let's rewind. I lost fifty okay. percent of my intelligence in the snap. That's why I'm so ignorant. It never returned. It just never came back. Yeah, the blip was um, like, nah. <laughs> coming up on this epic show, we'll take you behind the scenes on the making of Infinity War. We'll take you behind the page on the creation of Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet story that inspired this movie. We'll dive into the history of the Infinity Stones, Thanos' origins, how powerful he becomes when he's got that gauntlet on. We'll explore the snap and the Oof. army of superheroes who tried to stop it. This is absolutely jam-packed with Marvel history and trivia. You don't want to miss a single second. Um, and uh, right before we started recording, we just had a little moment, didn't we, Will? We had a little moment. Yeah. About this Marvel journey that that we've been going on since, uh, you know, near the start of the pandemic and lockdown. This all started just as a way of killing time. And why we kind of did this thing of you've never read a Marvel comic. I've read almost all of them. Uh, these Marvel Marvel's pretty hot right now. Let's see what the different experiences are. Let me help lead you through this history and trivia. It wasn't and, a podcast. It was more of an intervention. <laughs> it was just to keep us from from climbing the walls when we yeah. couldn't leave the house. Three plus years later, we've got the best listeners, the best fans in the business. We've done live shows. We've won awards for those shows. We've done merch. We've done everything there is to do in the podcast scape. Mm. Um, we 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 kind of changed what we initially initially we're just going to go like movie to movie, week to week. We used to do it God, back yeah. when we didn't really put a huge amount of of research and, and and stuff into the episodes. And we thought, oh, we'll just do Iron Man. We'll just do all the MCU movies. <laughs> and then we put the brakes on and we went and looked. No, let's go back and look at Blade. Let's look at Spider-Man. Let's look at Howard the Duck. Let's go look at the cartoons from the 90s. Yeah. Let's go and look at the TV shows like Daredevil and Jessica Jones. We've been almost, I mean, it's it's there are incredible things for us to look at in the future, but we feels like we've we've touched base with almost every corner of the Marvel universe as we built up to this. Like 
how's it been for you learning? Or, I mean, it's super cool. I, I, I'm so psyched for this one. This feels, I know we're not at end game yet, but this feels like we're really kind of like hurtling towards just a, a, a real, this is a real milestone, a real landmark in, in our journey. How's it feel for you? You've learned so much about Marvel and its characters and its history and stuff like that. It, it, it's been, I mean, there are, I can't put into words how 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 brilliant of a journey it's been, how 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 much of a brilliant experience it has been. You know, working with you, Rob, uh, bringing joy, information, <laughs> and sometimes uh, stern uh, condemnation, accidental comedy, and fighting uh, to the audience. But it's it's mad this because this I remember discussing the podcast with you when we first started it. My big concern was we can't do Infinity War. For a long time, we have to build up to that. It's been three, three and a bit years, and we've built up nicely to it. And man, it's always been there, looming in the background, like some kind of Lord of the Rings eye. Sorry, so, is it Sauron? That's the, that's this fella. That's, that's Sar- the fella. The eye of Sauron. It's been looming there in the in the background, waiting for us to eventually walk there with our little Hobbit feet through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And do you feel? You know the Marvel Universe now that we are here. I know it. I know it only through uh, received information from you, and I know it a lot better. And it's got to the point now where if I'm out with mates or random people and talking and drinking, and we talk about Marvel, I will come out with stuff you've taught me, and then I go, "Oh, I'm not allowed to read the comics, by the way." What? <laughs> I have to, no, it's, to be to be fair, it's a great way of plugging the podcast. If I go, I'm not allowed to read the Marvel comics. Why? Because I do an award-winning <laughs> podcast. Can, can I tell you about it? <laughs> what I think is really, uh, I think the more we kind of learn about the, I mean, we, we we obviously look at the stuff about the creation of the comic books and mm. the writing and the business side as well, and same with the movies. But I think the more we learn about the law, L-O-R-E, of Marvel, the Marvel Universe, the more it is this grand sweeping almost fantasy kind of you know it, it, it has you, you mentioned like lord of the rings there it has mm. these kind of similarities in this there are these ancient beings there are these cosmic gods there are there are these powerful objects um and there are these people trying to get the get just get through life and all yeah. these terrifying things happen to them marvel is lots of science science fiction elements to it of course um but what i really like about it is it seems to mix the two together fantasy and sci-fi, and create something that I just think is really layered and and really vast. Yeah. Um, and what we're looking at today is maybe the biggest... I mean, the subject material and what it's inspired in this movie is some of the biggest, in terms of scope, yes. stories that have ever been published. Um, it's It's absolutely huge. It's absolutely massive. Very excited to finally be here, um, and I don't know. Yeah, we we did put this off for a put this off is not quite right. There were just other <laughs> stuff to do in our journey. Um, I believe the MCU and and Marvel stories writ large are about the morality of power. Mm. Who, what right does someone have to wield power? And what is their responsibility when they've got that power? Of course, Spider-Man's lesson is a big part of that. Um, but I think the MCU as a whole is about that. Marvel stories as a whole are kind of about that, but especially the MCU. Oh, absolutely. And 
they've been leading to this. From the very first time Iron Man, Tony Stark puts on that Iron Man armor and makes himself kind of above government control and above mm. the law and beyond the reaches and becomes this gunslinger, as we looked at, this kind of lawless gunslinger out to do the right thing because he's got the best, you know, guns in town, to Thor having to learn about humility um, and compassion in order to be worthy of the power of Mjolnir mm. to Captain America's story in the in the in the 40s where it's all about the morality of who gets the you know a weak man knows what power can do and that's why Dr. Erkstein seeks out Steve Rogers someone with a kind heart and a weakness his whole life so that he will wield this power in a certain way all the way through of course to the Trying to stop Ultron and Spider-Man's mm. lessons of power and responsibility. We've done all sorts of other lessons along the way, flipping back in time and forwards and, and, and looking at all these different kind of chapters of the Marvel story. And we finally, I hope, we are prepared for our ultimate lesson and our ultimate kind of uh, uh, th- ultimate theories of morality and power as Thanos gains ultimate power and, and and what does that mean for us oof what a big show let's go now into the mind of a muggle it's the yin and the yang of the marvel experience the uh the the dichotomy of our two ways of viewing marvel is what uh, makes this podcast spin around and go forward engine that's what i was looking for the <laughs> engine that drives the show um, I approach these these comics and this movie massively, and, and perhaps we'll talk about this as we get going. This movie, I had a different reaction to almost everyone else that praises and goes on about this movie. That's not to say I didn't like this movie, but I had just a very different reaction because I'd come to it knowing huge elements from the comic books. So right. I have a different experience to you. So, Will, 2018... The trailers are coming out for this movie. Yeah. Cast your mind back. How After Age of Ultron, um, after Ragnarok, um, and, and after Captain America Civil War, were you excited for another Avengers movie? And, and the trailer comes out. We know Thanos is involved. What were your feelings and what was your excitement level like? I knew this was going to be a big thing. I, I knew this because like there was a whole art the articles that they shared that time was this is going to be the most ambitious crossover movie crossover of all that's time. Right. Yeah, that's so what they said. I was excited for that, but I was kind of going uh, like, like the same feeling I had with the first Avengers film, where I was like, ah, oh, this could be too much. This could be mm, too ambitious. Jumble. This could fall apart. There's so many moving pieces, but I was still excited for it. There was this always talk about Thanos uh, for years. And then we're finally seeing him. But I always remember when they first showed the uh, pictures of him, a few people uh, said he looked like purple Homer Simpson with his helmet off, which I always thought was a bit oh, odd. Oh, right. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that was, that, was, that, was, that was one of the things I remember. But I always, always remember that the, the rumours went around that something, something bad's going to happen in this film, something big's going to happen, and it's going to be well, quite they- startling. They, they announced it was a two-parter, but didn't yeah. announce the name of the second one, did they? It was the, just Infinity War and then Avengers Untitled Second Part. Well, I remember when it was going to be Infinity War Part 1 and Part 2, but then as oh, we'll go on to talk right. about it, I remember yeah. when it was that, 
but it was just i remember the atmosphere to it like two two stories come to mind before seeing it uh, one was i was presenting my old comedy night uh, in hoxton london called comedy cabin and uh, I, I, I remember one of the acts on who's got on who she's she's doing great now uh, sakisa or Twix, some, oh, yeah. some of, Sakisa, lovely, lovely, lovely person, lovely comedian, absolutely loved her bits. She was, um, Jude Former, she was at the back, and I was doing some MCing work, and, oh, has anyone seen Infinity War yet? And she yelled so loudly, going, don't you spoil it! <laughs> <laughs> she was just like, oh, she's, she's hilarious. But, like, um, I, I remember that. But another one, um, my first girlfriend, uh, who I still keep in contact with, she's a good friend of mine, Amber, uh, she got into the Marvel. She never was much of a film person, but she ended up getting into the Marvel films and then post about saying, why didn't anyone tell me to do this sooner? This is so good. I'm having so much fun watching these. And she saw Infinity War before me and said, uh, it was harrowing. I am harrowed. Oh, oh so you went in with this impression that yeah. something very dark and horrible is going to yeah. happen. Wow. Yeah. And do you remember where you saw it? I where which cinema? It must have been the. It could have been the Odeon, uh, in uh, near Seven Sisters Road in London, near Finsbury Park. I think it was that one. I saw it with my now wife. Uh, God, <laughs> walking out of that cinema afterwards. Jeez. Big. So what's happening at the moment is they've just announced um, uh, a whole bunch of uh, of hot male himbos. Right, <laughs> that are going to be in a in a new wrestling movie about yeah. the Von Erich family. I just it's seen called that. Yeah, Iron Claw. Zac yeah. Efron's in it. The lad from uh, Shameless and Beast is in it. And it's like the promo is all very. These are super attractive himbo guys, <laughs> and they're going to be. This is going to be the super attractive himbo wrestling movie. It's like people yeah. are not prepared. This is the most harrowing wrestling story that's ever. There's I read be, into it this morning. There's yeah. going to be a bunch of teen girls <laughs> staggering out of the himbo wrestling movie after having watched three back-to-back -back suicides and possibly a bit where a child is electrocuted and drowns in a puddle. <laughs> F so oh, it's just... Oh. <laughs> write that down. <laughs> write that down. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, yeah, it, it, there is some of these movies. I, I don't know if this was promoted that it was... I don't think it was promoted to have... I think you had that knowledge from someone that's seen it that I don't think people had. Yeah. Um, I don't think people went into this thinking it's going to be quite as harrowing as uh, it turned out to be. Um, I, I thought it was harrowing. I thought just a couple of people would die. A couple of main characters would die. And, and I came out there going... Oh no, this is much worse. <laughs> I mean, we'll get onto it, but it's such an existential Complete, nightmare the more you think about it. Completely different experience for me. What, what um, were you just like, oh, fair enough. I've read the comics. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Like, uh, uh, here is the comic book experience. Characters die, big things happen, right? And sometimes they do change the status. But... When half of the entire universe goes, I just go, well, the next movie is about getting them back. I, <laughs> like, I that's just it. I mean, I don't, I don't go, I don't go into, I, I didn't, I couldn't <laughs> quite understand people were coming out of this as shaken up as they were. I mean, I've lived through, 
I've lived through the death of everything and everyone. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, the death yeah, of Superman, that. Batman being in a wheelchair, but surely Green you... Lantern turning evil and destroying all the other Green Lantern. Like, I lived through it all and, sh- and everything coming back around again. Surely you can empathise with people without that knowledge, without exposure, without the the uh, veteran comic reading yourself, like, coming to that. But I... Hmm. I don't know, because I think from from science fiction and fantasy in general, I mean... I don't. I, I feel. I feel as a experienced media viewer of lots of sci-fi and fantasy stories. I just think I. I. I couldn't have interpreted that as anything other than the next movie is about getting everyone back. Then. <laughs> well, I did on, on the way out. After we all came out, everyone's shuffling out the cinema in silence, and me and my wife kept going. Ugh. And then after a while, I went. Yeah, they'll probably use time travel in the next film. It'd be fine. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I was right. I was so on the money with that one. And how did it make you feel about the MCU as a whole then? The 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 uh the, the, the Infinity War and the big kind of and then we had to move on and look at other movies but before getting that res- end game resolution. It um it it was the wait okay, the first of all the wait between uh, Infinity War and Endgame was just as bad as the final season break of Breaking Bad. Right, and yeah. It, you were like going, I need, I need this now. I need closure on this story now, and that weight is killing me. Uh, maybe I'm being a bit dramatic there, but it, it, it was just there was that. No, you're, but you're, you're right. I, I really remember that. I really remember the ramp up for the last season of of Breaking Bad, and it was released like a st- staccatically. It was like I don't know. It felt like it was Breaking Bad was released in an odd fashion where we got bigger episodes but less of them or something i think that might have been the case i'm i'm, I'm telling you what, i am going to go for a rewatch at some point because i've rewatched like the wire and the sopranos quite a bit recently and everyone keeps like trying to push breaking bad into the same level as them and i'm like you know what i i i, I really love better call soul i'm gonna have a go and uh, go back and watch breaking bad because it's been absolute years since i last watched it but yeah um when it's the whole experience like like i knew we had a car captain marvel film coming out between then and I thought this could sort of keep things going, but in terms of the MCU in general, it was like it felt like I, despite the fact you knew things were going to be okay in the next film, it felt like a big safety net was taken away. Like, yeah, oh my god, there there is a massive consequence. The heroes didn't win. The bad guy won. Oh my god, what a, what a unexpected twist! It, mm. Yeah, it was. Some some friends of mine said, oh, they just should have left it at, at uh, Infinity War, and that'd be it. And I was like, yeah, but I get it. What what? They should have left it at the Infinity like, War ends. Half the universe is dead, and that's it. Then, yeah, I, these I, are not these are not serious people, Will, and I hope they don't listen to this damn podcast. Oh, they don't. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's really get into it, Will. Yes. Um, can you, uh, as the man that takes us behind the scenes, that digs into the uh, the trash cans of Hollywood? To bring us all the dirt, take us through it. How did this movie get made? Where are we with all the behind-the-scenes goss? You, do you mean me or Mr. Hollywood? Uh, I was trying to keep him out. This is a big episode. This is like a, a, a landmark episode. I was trying to keep him out of it. Okay, I'll uh, I'll, I'll let him know he's not Okay, wanted. well, <laughs> can you please summon Mr. Hollywood? I'm gonna. I got. I mean, I'm, I've got the. Uh... 
I've got the I've got the Hollywood studio gauntlet with all the uh, main studios in. There's the Universal Stone right there. I hate. This. I snap my fingers <laughs> and Mr. Hollywood. Uh, half of I him appears. This. I hate all of this. Yeah, I know it's great. <laughs> I I I am. Anyway, let's lead up to Infinity War. Let's make sense of dollars and cents. So this is the third Avengers movie. Now, the first one came out in 2012 on a budget of 220 to $225 million, made a superb box office return of $1.519 billion. That was the tipping point, wasn't it? We, look, we looked at this yep. extensively, how um, the Avengers was this, was this phenomenon of a movie that people went back to see again and again and again. They went back, when they saw it and had a great time, they went to see it with other friends and other family and stuff like that. And so that's why it had this huge kind of over-the-top amount of money made for its budget. And that spilled over then. That transformed... That helped to transform, like, Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man into a megastar. Yeah. And then that really helped to... Uh, and I suppose the same with with the Thor character and and and, and that, and then and then the, the bleed off for the for the rest of those um, MCU movies from that point on, everyone did more, everyone made more money. Um, yeah. A real tipping point. This was this was the flash point where it all all kicked off. We don't want to say flash point on a Marvel show. <laughs> I was thinking that, my bad. Next, uh, we in, three years later in 2015, we had Avengers: Age of Ultron. Now the budget was four. Now the gross budget was 444 to 495.2 million dollars with a net budget of 365 million dollars you're probably better explaining the difference between the two net and gross i'm assuming one i'm assuming the gross is including the um advertising Mar- promotion marketing. budget and the marketing uh, but i'm yeah. i don't i'm not you I mean it's hard to tell with hollywood accounting but i'm i, I can only think of that as being the reason why there'd be two budgets. That would that would be. So we'll, we'll say I'm that. not Mr. Hollywood. So. No, no, you're not. You're Mr. But but I, I, Mr. Hollywood isn't Mr. Accountant. So <laughs> okay, Mr. Hollywood, he 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 has no use for spreadsheets. Uh, I am assuming to keep. I don't know, man. To keep that comparable mm-hmm. with the first Avengers movie, I think production budget is three six five. Yeah, I, three, I'm assuming we'll go three six five. It made a box office of one point four zero three billion dollars. Still good. But slightly less than the first one, which is very odd. I don't know. Um, it, I, I, it slightly. I don't know. I don't know if that that slight even matters really. Yeah. Um, and let's not forget, historically, sequels always made less money, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And it may well have been that there just wasn't as much of a hook with like Ultron as there was with. Seeing the Avengers, seeing these characters all come together for the very first time yeah, was a yeah. big selling point. Maybe, maybe the 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 shine is off the apple the, the second time you try and do it. Oh, always, if this uh, if this was uh, done now, if we were looking at this now and we were uh, clickbait journalists, we would go, "Oh, this film didn't make as much money as last one. Has the MCU finally broken?" Yeah, let's not forget, folks, that quality of movie is never really what we're interested in. It's how much shekels did the people in charge make back? Yeah, that's what I care about. That's what I care about when I sit down and watch The Thing, and I go, oh, you know what? The Thing is a bad movie because it didn't make money for the people in charge. Famous box office bomb The Thing when it's one of the greatest sci-fi horrors of all time. Oh, anyway, brings us to... Avengers Infinity War came out 2018 on a budget of 325 to 400 million and made a box office 
of $2.052 billion. Wow. I mean, let's say it's $400 million, uh, which I don't know. It sounds like a really, really expensive movie to me. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people in this, though. Um, there's a lot of big stars in this. But weren't they calling, like, Flash and stuff? And, and, and weren't they calling... Um, Indiana Jones, like the most expensive movie ever made, and its budget was like two hundred and ninety million. Uh, it's about three hundred. Well, I, I had three hundred down, million. but yeah, roughly around that. So, yeah, it, I, I, I it can't be four hundred million. I think, I think, mm. I think, I don't know what these figures that Mister Hollywood has found and hasn't dug into, but I think, <laughs> oh, <laughs> like wow. it can't be four hundred million. Well, that could be with the marketing as well. Who knows? But yeah, but the marketing can't be. The discrepancy between three two five and four hundred million is not enough for marketing. Marketing has got to be a hundred million at least. Mm. So, okay. especially with a movie like this, the marketing of this was huge. Like when we find, I want to find out what the marketing budget was in the Barbie movie because that's the <laughs> like everyone talking about how see see when you make a good movie, people go and see it. That is not the lesson of Barbie. The lesson of Barbie is when you spend a bajillion. I've seen. I've. I saw. 10 times the marketing for Barbie than I did for Indiana Jones, Mission yep, Impossible, yep. any any movie in the last like 10 years. They had tie-ins with they did the Batman thing, right? Mm. They were yes. everywhere. Posters were everywhere, yep. trailers were everywhere, interviews like like I'm scrolling through like the shorts on YouTube. I'm not someone that's ever googled Barbie, right? But every <laughs> 5 or 6 is some bit of content to do with Barbie. Yeah. The posters were everywhere. The trailers were everywhere. They had the McDonald's tie-in meal. That yeah. you got to do that. They had the obviously had the toys tying in because, but they had those booths in every cinema. Yes, where you could take your own photo of, for months before the movie came out. Then they do the Batman route of, like they don't get Prince, they get Nicki Minaj, yeah. who is a megastar. The the freaking album, the soundtrack has broken all records for movie soundtracks in terms of how many times it's been bought and downloaded and things like that. That's how you get people to see it. I think an awful lot of the time now they seem to think if we just release this movie with superheroes or whatever, people come to see it, or they get nervous like the uh, you know the years of Miller stuff with the Flash. They went, we don't yeah. want to be the people promoting it because there's this stuff that's gone on, mm. so let's not spend on it. Well, if you don't spend on promotion and advertising and marketing, you will lose money. <laughs> that really puzzled me about the Indiana Jones film because I only saw the trailer once. And but, I, uh, yeah. And I, I, I never, never heard anything. I saw bits. Uh, it, but it seemed to be advertise the movie when it's out. Mm. Barbie was hitting us for yep. a long, long time. Long time. Um, yeah, I didn't see promotional stuff, the, the Legos and things like that, until the movie was in cinemas. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah that, re I, I, that really threw me for a loop. Anyway, Infinity War set records for the highest grossing opening weekend in cinema history. It was the fastest to gross $1 billion at the box office and also the fastest to gross $1.5 billion. It became the highest grossing movie of 2018 and the highest grossing superhero movie of all time. Jeez. This is big. I mean, another thing we should think about in terms of marketing is how Marvel are the first to kind of use other movies as marketing for a movie in a way that traditional sequels kind of didn't um mm. maybe back to the future 2 
That's the first time I can remember there being like this cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. And you go, I've got to see the next movie, right? Yeah, not yeah. a lot of sequels. Not a lot of sequels kind of employ that. Um, and and Marvel don't exactly employ that, but mm. it's these plot threads that weave together and lead you towards, you know, the the building of the Thanos character that had, that had yeah. been coming for since two thousand and twelve. Um, I think that's a different element of marketing and perhaps perhaps that was i mean well look two billion perhaps that was much much better than doing a mcdonald's happy meal and getting Nicki minaj involved who knows <laughs> i also think that like in terms of cliffhanger as well like i gotta see the next one the, the last film i felt that did that for me was the dark knight like the like because it ended it wasn't cut it was sort of a cliffhanger but not really because it just ended on a on a bat on a sad ending like he yeah, it's not a cliffhanger well batman's wanted by the law He's become the bad guy. Well, Batman started being wanted, but it's not a cliffhanger. It's a loop. And the correct answer <laughs> to that question is uh, Cross the Spider-Verse. Ah, uh, yes. With the big old Empire Strikes Back ending. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yep. Yep. Anyway, the film, Infinity War, has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 85% fresh with an audience score of 95% based on more than 50,000 reviews. I think I remember... The first time I did the a back to back rewatch, mm. I think I rem- I remember thinking that Infinity War is a better movie than Endgame. I and I think mm. I, I think that's something I still think really, uh, uh, and it might be that Empire Strikes Back kind of thing yeah. where there's something so interesting about a dark ending, about a cliffhanger, and at the same time, there's maybe something in that as we've talked about. The anticipation was better than 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 the than the event, than the delivery, than the conclusion. Christmas mm. Eve is always more exciting than Christmas Day, right? Yeah, right? and Infinity yeah, War yeah. is kind of like the Christmas Eve yeah. of the MCU. Um, and the can that ending, can that sequel ever live up to? Well, Infinity War doesn't have to live up to anything. No, it just delivers bang, 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 and everything's big and everything's high. I don't know. I, um, I I I used to think Infinity War was the better movie, and then I thought Endgame was the better movie. And I've watched this. I'm going, ah, oh, this is really good, but I yeah. can't make my mind up until we handle Endgame. I, mm. I I do love them both. I think they they should be. I I I prefer to think of them as one entity. If that makes no, sense. no, you're not allowed. Of course, I'm not. Anyway, let's talk more about Infinity War. Let's go. I, I like to think of all the Jurassic Park movies as one entity. Oh God, thus, no, no! Thus, I can say it's a bad franchise. <laughs> <laughs> not happy with that, are you, Will? No. So let's not do it to other things. How dare you remind me of Jurassic Park? Jurassic Alien, World Dominion. Alien Ugh. is bad because of all Ugh. the terrible sequels, and I'm just going to consider them as one entity. <laughs> Alien Three wasn't that bad. No, I'm a big Alien. I wrote a, I wrote a whole paper on Alien Three when I was at university. I'm Good an man. Alien Three supporter and defender. Good man. Except for the special effects. But, but yeah, that was a bit ropey at the end. Anyway, let's no, get just, all, just practical effects every time, like abandoning practical effects for early nineties CGI. So quickly become dated. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, so since their early films, Marvel Studios had been preparing for an adaptation of Jim Starlin's nineteen ninety one Infinity Gauntlet comic by introducing the Infinity Stones. We had. The Space Stone as the Tesseract in Captain America, the first Avenger in 2011. 
The Mind Stone inside Loki's Scepter in The Avengers in 2012. The Reality Stone as the Aether in Thor Dark World in 2013. The Power Stone within the Orb in Guardians of the Galaxy in 2014. And then the Time Stone within the Eye of Agamotto in Doctor Strange in 2016. The James Gunn contributed to the planned films from writing the Guardians movie. When Marvel informed Gunn that they were thinking of including the Power Stone in the Guardians movie, he wrote a scene explaining the backstory of the Infinity Stones. All the subsequent MCU filmmakers would use Gunn's backstory as the basis for the Infinity Stones in the post-Guardians films. I think that's the first time that they act. I don't think they're planning it from the beginning. Sorry, I was drinking there. Uh, you don't think they were playing it from the beginning? No, I think we have enough. I think there's enough. Having scanned some of the interviews and stuff that you've taken, yeah, I don't think I don't think anybody knew that we're going to do. I think uh, like that. A lot of these things, it was just let's put that in there. Let's have Thanos at the end of this. I don't think it's until they, they kind of. Because otherwise, I I don't know. I I have a feeling it just kind of come almost came together, not accidentally, but over a longer period of time. Yeah, I I think I think there might be some like he said, she said, they said, you know, some maybe maybe a bit of miscommunication or some people claiming this or some people claiming that. But I I, I like to think. That although it did come together organically, there was someone in the back saying, mm, "Maybe we should do something, push towards that. Maybe, maybe no, we no, can play yes, around I, with that idea." I, I, I think, like, like obviously, there was an in, if, there was an intention to include Thanos, yeah, but they don't think they knew what they were going to do with Thanos. Yeah, there was an intention to, like, I don't think when the Tesseract is first there, I don't think there's anything to suggest it's an Infinity Stone. Yeah, it's, it's more that it's the Cosmic Cube. Well, yeah, it's the Cosmic Cube, or it's just a, a MacGuffin for that specific film, per se. Let's not get into this MacGuffin thing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we, we, had, a, we had a big argument about the definition of MacGuffins, when, and Rob was absolutely correct. And now I've got to be very careful about... <laughs> it's, like, it's like Rob's Macbeth. I can't say Macbeth. <laughs> it's like, if I say MacGuffin, it's like, no, it's bad luck. Anyway, after his appearance at the end of the first Avengers movie, many fans expected Thanos to be the antagonist of the sequel, Age of Ultron. However, Joss Whedon, who wrote and directed the first two Avengers films, explained that the character would not be the primary antagonist until a later film. Whedon said, He is so powerful, he is not someone you can tr tr just try out and punch him. Like they did in the comics, you want him to be threading through the universe and to save the big finale for the big finale. Thanos appears at the end of Age of Ultron in another brief appearance, this time shown to have the Infinity Gauntlet, a glove designed to house the stones. A different Infinity Gauntlet was briefly shown in the vault on Asgard in Thor in 2011, but this was later explained as just a replica. When Easter eggs get out of hand. You... <laughs> so that... That's the MCU in a whole. Easter that's... eggs getting out of hand. Right. Listen, man, that's definitive proof. 2011, they didn't know they were doing going to do the Infinity um, Gauntlet saga. Yeah. Otherwise, think, they wouldn't have done this because they had to wreck on it. Maybe with these Easter eggs, they put it in there. Actually, that's, that'd be too convoluted. It's not like they're planting seeds early no. on to go, hey, we can pick that thread up later, maybe. No, because they have to completely change it. They have to yeah. They have to write a whole bunch of dialogue explaining how, oh, no, it was, and it's stupid. <laughs> they shouldn't yeah. have done it. <laughs> so they, by 2011, they weren't planning on doing it. And then we had uh, all the recent TV shows, especially WandaVision. Everybody was scanning 
for Easter eggs. Meaning, yeah. def- oh god. President of Marvel Studios Kevin Feige explained that the first gauntlet was included as a small Easter egg in Thor before an adaptation of the Infinity Gauntlet was in active development. He said, there we go. going all the way back to phase one, where Infinity War was barely a glint in our eye, we were working on Avengers and trying to get just put all pulled together for the conclusion of phase one. And it's in one shot. It's in one shot in the background. And also, it was on display, I think, at Comic-Con in the Marvel booth. And pretty quickly after that, within a couple of years, we were like, well, that's clearly not the gauntlet. The gauntlet can't be in there. So internally, we started saying, well, it's a fake. Because if the Asgardians knew that there was something that had that kind of power that could theoretically wipe out Asgard and whatever else, they might question Odin's ability to protect them. So Odin built a fake gauntlet. And he goes, it's fine. I got it. Look, it's fine. It's in our vault. Don't it's worry fine. about it. It's fine. I've got it. <laughs> it's like you can come out now. I've got it. <laughs> well, also, it was just the gauntlet. The gaunt- uh, this it- is all. This is a man who doesn't know everything. The gauntlet's just a glove. <laughs> There's no- there was nothing in it. Right? Anyway. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. I've got the gun. There's no bullets in it. Don't worry. <laughs> in October 2014, Marvel announced a two-part sequel to Age of Ultron titled Avengers Infinity War. Part 1 was scheduled to be released on May 4, 2018, and Part 2 was scheduled for May 3, 2019. Marvel's plan was to film both parts of Infinity War back-to-back. In January 2015, Whedon said it was very doubtful that he would be involved with the two films. Marvel eventually approached him about writing them, and Whedon did not rule out contributing to the screenplays in some way, but he declined to sign on as the writer for the sequels. He cited the series' increased scale as the reason he chose not to return, explaining that each of his films had become increasingly enormous. Whedon went on to say, Every movie I have ever made has been an ensemble piece of increasingly enormous proportions. That many balls in the air, it's only going to get bigger with Infinity War. I'm not going to be able to give it what I would need to. It's a young man's game. Hi. I don't know whether the allegations about Whedon were kind of starting to catch up. with. I don't know what went on here, but yeah. to me, Joss Whedon, who, before the allegations came out, had this incredible fan support and this incredible background, right, yeah. from three beloved sci-fi fantasy TV shows and... Uh, some other stuff as well that was well received, mm. and then he directs two of the biggest action movies, <laughs> ev- writes and directs two of the biggest action movies ever, and then doesn't do anything else. Yeah, right. He's he he drops down. He does like is it Cabin in the Woods came out after, after maybe after both of them or after Avengers. It certainly. came out after Avengers. I remember it, and it's fun and good. It's great I like film. it. But it's not like you'd expect the director, the director and the writer director that's kind of like done those things to have enough clout now in Hollywood mm. to be able to be hired um, for the next big. Oh, I get. Oh, sorry, I'm forgetting he did Justice League, didn't I? I really am. But, but well, that was yeah. a last minute step in thing, wasn't it? Yeah. But it, it, you feel like someone in Hollywood would go, "Wow, we need to get Joss Whedon in to do Godzilla or the Mummy or some <laughs> big project or." He's gonna now. He's got the clout to do something amazing in the world of television with a streaming thing, or do, and it just seemed like he didn't. And I don't know if that was these allegations around him started to catch up, or 
I think to drag I think him it, down. I don't know. I think it was that because I haven't heard anything about him since Justice League. I think he's pretty much not dropped off the radar, just sort of slowed down or something. I mean, has he done a new project since then? I, I can't. I can't think of one. I mean, stuff no. could be in development. Who knows? But. I, 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 this was kind of before Justice League, wasn't it? So I wonder, what, I don't know. I wonder whether something was mm. interesting. A, a massive part of my uh, teens and twenties, Joss Whedon stuff. Yeah. Um, and I hate, I hate the thought that he was horrible and mistreated people. Yeah, it's a horrible um, stuff to read on. It was just ugh, disgusting. Anyway, Anthony and Joe Russo had reached a deal by April 2015 to direct both parts of Avengers Infinity War after directing Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and Captain America, Civil War. A month later, writers Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely had signed on to also return from the Captain America films, writing the screenplays for both parts of Infinity War. Marcus and McFeely have written for a number of previous Marvel projects, including For the Dark World, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America Civil War, and Agent Carter. Uh, Thought the Dark World aside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I was yeah. super excited to learn that the people that have made what I consider two of the absolute best, you know, and been involved in Guns of Galaxy, but the, the Russo brothers, Marcus and McFeely, are going to do the next Avengers movies. I was like, that sounds, in- that sounds like the dream team. That sounds incredible. I was... That ha- that gave me lots of confidence and faith in the quality of what was going to be delivered. Yeah, I I only knew the Russo brothers from uh, Community uh, before this, and it's just mad that they've made that leap mm. to go doing Community to doing something like this. During the uh, oh sorry, uh, in two, July two thousand sixteen, Marvel announced that Part One would simply be known as Avengers: Infinity War, while Part Two would be referred to as the untitled Avengers film, until a new title was chosen. After being hired to write the films, Marcus and McFeely were told by Feige and Marvel to make two separate films rather than a two-part story. They were also asked to use Thanos and the Infinity Stones, which suggested to Marcus that the Guardians of the Galaxy should likely be included in the films. They were allowed to use any characters throughout the MCU and were giving free reign to kill off characters if they wanted to. Um, <laughs> I love that I think, phrasing. What free reign to kill off characters if they so, do so wish? Tablo rasa. Um, yeah. I think when uh, what helps make the movies feel like two separate films and not a continuing. Like if Endgame had picked up immediate seconds after the end of Infinity War, it would have felt like one movie in two parts. Mm. I think the the time. The time, the world moving on five years, whatever it is, by the time we go back and watch, by the time we watch Endgame, helps it really feel like it is a, a movie and a sequel. And yes. Not part yes. one and part two. Yeah. Um, like, in a way that the Lord of the Rings movies, there's, you know, it's it's one journey, and it feels yeah. like one journey. This is, This feels very different to that. Yeah, this is de- definitely feels like there's a big split between the two. During the filming of Civil War in 2015, Marcus and McFeely started reading Marvel comics and writing down ideas for what could happen in the Avengers films. They ended up with 60 pages worth of unrelated ideas which Marvel went through and either highlighted or flagged as not possible. In a 2016 interview, they said, We're on set for Civil War. And then as soon as they start shooting, we don't have much to do for the next six hours. We just go to the office read comics, 
write down ideas, put everything on the wall and just go, these are all the characters we could have. We sent in literally 60 pages of unrelated ideas, Marcus added, just like, here's some stuff that could happen in this insane movie. Then we came back from Atlanta and everyone had a copy of that document and they'd circle this. This is cool. This is insane. This is cool. We're not allowed to do that. And from then on, we've pieced it together very slowly. Marvel gave them baseball cards of all the MCU characters so far and each noted whether the respective actor was available for the films. The writers began to pick potential groupings of characters and gave these to Marvel along with their pages of ideas. McFeely referred to this stage of the process as research and development with the pair attempting to figure out what elements Marvel and the Russos wanted to include in the films. I feel like... Uh, Infinity War's got so many people in. I, I, yeah. I'm struggling to think who's kind of who are the big one. Is anyone big that's kind of missing? I think it's more ancillary characters that are kind of missing. It's like Happy Hogan's not in it, and Aunt May's not in it, and yeah, and even some make little cameos. But I like Pepper's briefly in it. Um, I can't think who's kind of missing. I, I mean, I, we're talking about several different not timelines, you know, like. Plot threads between different previous yeah, films. Yeah, I think all the, too all, the major, to, all the major yeah. characters are there, aren't they? Pretty much so all the major it characters. Like almost everyone was available. Exactly. The Russos and the writers worked with all the other Phase 3 filmmakers to keep continuity. Talking on an This all- is oh. what I'm freaking sorry to interrupt. This is what. This is the, this is the shizzle that DC has ne- never seems to have had. Yeah. Um, like when they were trying to pull off their extended universe, it just didn't didn't feel connected. Sorry, I was interrupted. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. It also felt incredibly rushed. Like they were trying to do four years worth of things in like two years. They were really rushing it. These, I feel sorry for them because they but were playing catch up. But having uh, a slap deck with all your phase three people in, yeah. and like here's a script for this movie. Here's a script for that movie. Here's a timeline of what people are doing. You know, so we were all on this, literally on the same page. Yeah. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. They were talking on an almost weekly basis. Speaking on this group effort between filmmakers, Doctor Strange director Scott Derrickson said, I've had some good talks with Joe Russo, and he sort of broke down, here's what the two movies are. And I like to th- I, I think he was bouncing ideas off me. And I was like, this is why this is great. And no, this is why that'll never work. And that's how it works over there. We all root for each other. We all help each other out. James Gunn gave me notes on the Doctor Strange script. It's a team effort all the way. Wow, I love that. Yeah. Absolutely love that. Gunn wanted to ensure that the Guardians were as funny as they should be and as honest and truthful as they should be. However, the Russos took some decisions that Gunn felt that were disconnected to how he wrote the Guardians in his films, particularly dismissing Star-Lord's vengeful rage towards Thanos at the end of the film upon realising Gamora's fate as a choice he wouldn't have made. While all non-Avengers films in the MCU were considered set up for the storyline, Feige said that Black Panther would be a very important link to the storyline, as would Thor Ragnarok. Just to, uh, to go back to that previous point you made, I think it's, it's like when the Guardians come in, it's almost like this different style of comedy arrives. Yeah, yeah. Like Tony Stark's sarcasm... And the way he bounces off Spider-Man is yep. all very fun. The way he bounces off, like, the Doctor Strange as a straight man and stuff. Yep. And then in come these kind of, not not wacky cartoon characters, <laughs> but it's a very, it, they do feel alien. And their sense of humor is different. And the, the, the way they joke is different. And I so it does, it does definitely feel like, it doesn't feel like there's, you know, sometimes one writer writes one voice in, different, yeah. in all the characters. Yeah. 
I feel like we didn't we didn't get that really with the Guardians and in the Avengers. I was really happy with that because it's like if if you're having other characters being handled by sub by by a different director and that director originally handled them, you could really hear his voice through those characters in a way that was good, like James Gunn's sense of humor and stuff. Mm. And when, when I saw them, I was like, ah, this isn't going to be as funny. But it was some of the funniest Guardian stuff. Quite bit little bits happened in this film. Yeah, like you know, you you can't see me, and then talking about Thor saying he's he's a man, you're just a dude. <laughs> yeah yeah all, all that they got that and i was really happy with that but they did let's not forget marcus and mcfeely wrote guardians the first Guardians. Oh, of course yes yeah, sorry my bad i always um, think it's just done all the way yeah yeah i mean or, or they or they contributed to it i don't quite know what they whether it's entirely them or whether it's this joint effort but yeah mm. infinity war was crafted like a 1990s heist film with the days two days in the valley and out of sight serving as inspiration for the Russo brothers. Anthony Both Russo- exceptional movies. Out of sight is one of my all-time favorites. Right, sorry. So two days in the valley, out of sight. No, out I- of sight is um George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. It is some of the hottest on-screen chemistry. Oh, okay. Uh, you'll see. And it's based on an Elmore Leonard novel. Um, so you know it's the good stuff. That rings a bell. Elmore Leonard uh, wrote Jackie Brown. And, oh, Jackie um, Brown. Rum Punch, which they never adapted, but a whole bunch of movies have been adapted from Elmore Leonard yeah. novels. The way that that guy writes is, is something else. Okay, um, they're on my list. I'm going to have to watch those. And yeah, Out of Sight is a guy, a career criminal, kind of having this ongoing flirtation with a bounty hunter. Um, yeah it's interesting excellent Anthony Russo said with Infinity War the biggest new element to the movie is Thanos and the fact that he's entering the storytelling in a very bold strong way to the degree that he's almost one of the leads he's shaped an interesting narrative around him that in some ways leans heavily on a heist film in the fact that he's going after Infinity Stones in a much bolder successful way than he has in the past the entire movie has that energy of the bad guy being one step ahead of the heroes. We looked at a lot of movies that had that high-style energy to them, and that brought some inspiration. Beyond That's the... interesting, because of the two, I would consider Endgame the one that has a heist movie vibe to it. Well, they literally call it the time heist, don't they? Right. Okay. It was a time heist. That, that does feel like a heist because they like they got the plan. They, you know, it's quite funny. They're all, you know, they're, yeah. They're There's a an team element working of together. Con, con artist stuff going on. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. Doing, they're doing a switch, a, li- a literal switcheroo. That was what I they, think. We'll I talk think about that, it more. Obviously, the big difference, obviously, is that there's there, whilst there's funny stuff in Infinity War permeated through it is a sense of foreboding and dread. <laughs> yes. In a way that Endgame, like once you get the kind of the Avengers back together, you go, oh yeah, that comfortable feeling is there again. The gang, Paul Rudd's here. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> bad can happen when, that's the problem with Infinity War. Paul Rudd's not in it. Like when Paul Rudd arrives, yeah, okay. Oh, that's 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 some hijinks. That's the main character missing from Infinity War, Paul Rudd. But of course, it's for all it's for perfectly good reason. Oh boy, yeah. Beyond these scripts used in the final film, two different drafts of Infinity War were also created. One of these drafts featured Thanos as the film's narrator, utilized a non-linear structure, and also had backstories for the Black Order members. Though this draft was not used, writing out Thanos' narration helped give Marcus, McFeely, and the Russos more insight into the character. The other draft of the script started the movie after Thanos had already acquired the Power Stone, 
but this was rejected because it felt like he had too many Infinity Stones to start. To handle a number of characters in the films, many are split into various smaller groups early on in Infinity War. Speaking about this plan, Anthony Russo said, They're going to be multi-perspective films. You're going to be moving around through different perspectives of the characters. It's like the 1975 film Nashville for superheroes. It's storytelling that is vignetted. After announcing the films, Kevin Feige said that there was a possibility that characters from the Marvel Television's MCU series could appear in the team-up. Feige says the Netflix series are leading to a Defenders series and are asking about including them into the features at some point because Infinity War is going to be big. There are a lot of people from the movies in Infinity War. A lot of it is about space and a lot of it is about just what happens between now and then. But all those things inhabit, however, far on the outskirts, the same continuity. So certainly that opportunity exists. I remember thinking they were, they, I, 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 it felt like a guarantee to me that we're going to be in it because, as you said, <laughs> they were talking about this being the biggest crossover ever. Yeah. And they were definitely in the MC. I, I felt like, mm. I felt like we were guaranteed to get some sort of scene with them at least trying to save people from disaster and calamity in New York while yeah. the big stuff's going on. Yeah, Marvel Netflix uh, act series actors such as uh, Kristen Ritter, who plays Jessica Jones in a Netflix series of the same name, expressed interest in the possibility of the Defenders appearing in MCU films, with Ritter saying, Obviously, it'd be really exciting to be part of those giant, huge movies with those great characters who are already established, so it'd be awesome. I'm also really lucky because our Netflix playground is so unique and so grounded and gritty and more adult. It'd be awesome if I got to pop up somewhere else. However, Anthony Russo stated that this would be complicated due to the television series' serial nature of storytelling and the fact Marvel Studios and Marvel Television have separate oversight. Anthony said, The films are controlled by a group led by Kevin Feige, so they function as a unit. Other products, even if they are from Marvel, are controlled by others. Then there's the possibility of a crossover, but it's more complicated. It's a smaller scale version of the problem that exists when remembering that Fox holds the right to some of the Marvel's most popular characters, as does Sony and others. <coughs> We have only have control over what happens in Marvel movies. That struck me as um, really interesting. That mm. it's 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 almost as problematic. Trying to get Daredevil into the Avengers movie is almost as problematic as trying to get <clears throat> the X Men in. Yeah, it's that that yeah. felt odd, but yeah. There because we go. It's a, it, it feels to us. It feels like a smaller step, but we don't know how it works behind the scenes. Well, it's all the same freaking company. But <laughs> I don't mm. know. They might have a sub company handling the film stuff. Anyway, Stephen McFeely talked about how they were handling Thanos, a character that the audience knows is the threat of the films. Yet until these films had little scenes and screen time to divulge his history and motivations, he said, "It is a, incumbent upon us to give him a real story." Real stakes, real personality, and a real point of view. Speaking about the character Thanos, Feige said, Thanos goes back with us to the very end of Phase 1, to those last shots of Thanos at the very end of the first Avengers film. Joss wrote him into the script, he just turns around, you see his little smirk, and that was really was the beginning of us beginning to seed his grand story arc, culminating in Infinity War. As we were working on Guardians, we wanted to touch on Thanos again, and actually see him for the first time and we wanted to cast a great actor. Josh Brolin was the idea uh, was the idea that popped into our head, the only name ever associated with Thanos for us, and it was our great fortune that it required just one phone call, and he immediately kind of understood what we wanted to do and trusted us. So he sat in his chair in his big Thanos throne, 
for that one scene in Guardians with the promise that he would have a showcase role in Infinity War down the line. And of course, what Joss has done, and of course we can't talk about it too much because nobody's seen it, but what he's done with that character and that performance is overwhelming, is astounding. He's an amazing talent. I... So much of this movie relies on this very unique character yep. and this very different style of charisma. Yeah. Um, like, you can do all the stuff to build up the threat of Thanos and write a very good script. But yeah. if at the end of the day you've got a stunt actor in some prosthetics or some paint or some mocap, yeah. I don't think this film works... Absolutely, absolutely. It's I, I, right. It, 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 what Josh Brolin does in the role is really impressive. It gives him a lot of personality. You you delve inside his mind almost. You're seeing things from his point of view. Well, yeah, you're gonna, but you you'd get that in a script anyway. But but it's the it's the way that he is able to present. He he finds. Um, it's almost stoicism. Yeah, he has a, he, he has like a regal nature to him. You might despise what he's doing. It is that Genghis Khan kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. he's a bloody, he's a blood-soaked monster. But there's something. There's you can see why people follow him. Yeah, you can see why people are drawn to him. There's there's that kind of. I I and you know me, Will. I'm going to compare everything to wrestling. Um, <laughs> there it is. The 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 reason that there's a lot of like Jap- major megastar Japanese wrestlers mm. struggle to translate in the West is because the Western idea of a charismatic performer in wrestling is kind of like really over the top, and he's full of like like sh- like yelling out like hilarious catchphrases <laughs> or swearing and and you know and that that kind of makes a real top guy in the West. In Japan, the Japanese sense of like charisma, there there is this dignity, this stoicism, uh, the stuff like that, which really impresses and wows people in Japan, mm. and leads to these. And it's still it's still charisma, different form of charisma. And I think Brolin brings some of that to this role. Oh, like absolutely! And it, it 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 plays wonderfully off against who are the like the the biggest people in the. By this point, even Thor's wacky. You know, we've got these over-the-top wacky characters like sarcastic, quippy Tony Stark and sarcastic, quippy Spider-Man and all of of that. And then you've got a very definite kind of like negative uh, parallel to them, like the opposite side of the chessboard. It's almost like he's doing a similar thing to when he was playing Cable in Deadpool 2. Yeah. A little oh, bit, little... but the but the level again. There's a a calm confidence and a, a regality to him in this yeah. in his performance in this movie that's just really special. Absolutely, this movie avoids la- a large part of the comic book Infinity Gauntlet saga, despite the tease Whedon used in the Avengers, where Thanos felt that by challenging the Avengers, he was courting death. Though the tease was purposefully ambiguous as no solid plans had yet been made for how to handle the character, Whedon knew the original comic book story and so included a line that nodded towards these events. Whedon felt that when he featured Thanos in the Avengers, he did not know what to do with him. So we don't have the plan in place then, do we? No, it doesn't sound like it. 
Speaking about the events leading to the ending of the film, the Russo brothers said, As storytellers, we find out that one of the most empathetic moments in the story, and also the other thing to focus on, is choice. I mean, all these characters uh, make flawed choices. You know, if Thor had not been so angry and so revenge-driven, he may have killed Thanos faster and would have gone for the head. The fact that he wanted revenge, he wanted to see in Thanos his eyes as he was killing him. You know that gave Thanos a window to reverse things on him. So you know it's all these characters have emotional vulnerabilities that complicate their ability to do what needs to be done. And it's us sort of watching them fight through that as part of this uh, fun and makes them interesting to watch. If all they did was make the right choice every time, I don't know. I don't. I, I, it, it would be fairly predictable and, bore, and a boring story after a while. You're struggling there because it's uh, it's just literally how someone talks written down, which is good. I don't know, you know, it's fairly, <laughs> and so you're you're trying to, you know, it's it's hard to read yeah, that yeah. When, when it's not like a dialogue. Yeah, David Cross was invited to make a cameo appearance as Tobias Funke in Infinity War. You his love this slice of trivia. His, it's, it, it's bizarre. His character from the sitcom Arrested Development, uh, which is a brilliant sitcom, by the way, watch it, which the Russo brothers have previously worked on. This was prevented by a scheduling conflict, but Funke still appears in the film as a specimen in the collector's collection, played by an uncredited extra. Uh, yes. Why? Why? I Why was that needed? I don't know. I was not. <laughs> <laughs> all i want someone to do now is edit the uh, bit in um in civil war where spider-man makes his entrance but it's funke blued up wearing his ah. shorts that would be quite funny and it's not it's not like they don't know that fans are going to pour through the footage zoom in on every frame yeah. And look for Easter eggs everywhere. So it's not like they thought this one's just for us. They knew people were gonna like pull it apart and find it. Absolutely yeah. mad. Alan Silvestri, who composed the music, uh, sorry, to compose the score for the Avengers, returned to score Infinity War as well as Endgame. This is a stunning score. It, it is just is wonderful. It's so. He, I mean, yeah. this. The, I I I went through and looked at his previous stuff, and you know, he's a very prolific uh, composer for films. And uh, funny enough. He's the guy who composed the Back to the Future theme. Yeah, yeah. And that is the incredibly good uh, film theme. Uh, sorry. So he, he said, uh, so speaking about the scoring of the film where multiple set pieces are happening at the same time, he said, you don't get a lot of Marvel deaths, not at this level. When a character that's been around for multiple films dies, you want the audience to feel that emotionally. If they don't, then the narrative doesn't work and you failed. So I have to do that moment justice. But then the very next scene could be on the battlefield with something humorous occurring. So it was a real tightrope musically. Mm, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. These Marvel, these Marvel films do kind of um, switch gears on you quite quickly, don't they? Absolutely. The ending of the film sparked various internet meme reactions, as well as the creation of the website, Did, Can Did Thanos Kill Me? For fans to see if they would have been spared by Thanos or not. Brilliant. Uh, Did Thanos also, kill dot me? Dot me, that was it, dot me. I mean, it spread everywhere. I mean, we, we were, I remember the memes coming out, but also I remember a, a newer episode of The Simpsons. One of the couch gags is Thanos is sat on the sofa and he clicks the Infinity Gauntlet and The Simpsons turn to dust. Saturday Night Live did sketches where people yeah. just kept turning to dust and things. No, like Scarlett Johansson hosted and everyone started turning to, all the other players started turning to dust. Yeah. <laughs> 
At the 91st Academy Awards, Avengers Infinity War received a nomination for Best Visual Effects. The film's other nomination include an Annie Award, a British Academy of Film Award, two Critics' Choice Awards, among others. In 2020, Infinity War was ranked 7th in an Empire Magazine poll for the 100 greatest films of the 21st century. 2018, Will, is the year that this movie came out. We're going to dive into what's happening in the world to give this the context it deserves. Like, these movies don't happen in a vacuum. They happen as a part of pop culture trends, and they happen as a part of historical events. Speaking of historical events, what was happening for Willie P in 2018? Uh, Me and my wife uh, moved into our first flat together. Oh, how nice. Which was uh, very nice. Uh, A lot of comedy stuff happened, really. When you move in with a woman, that'll happen, yeah. According <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to all those sitcoms, no, it was, it was just a, it was a nice year. I think 2018 was a very, very positive year for me. I think. When did we first work together? T- 2019. For a show in 2019, I think. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, so, oh, so maybe we. I I also did a my first uh, split split bill show, for, but it was for a fringe that didn't go so well. Uh, with with two two guys who who who, who absolutely love Luke Porton and uh, James uh, Cartwright. Uh, Luke's still doing comedy. He's doing a show at the moment at Camera Fringe, I think, uh, called Bad Movies. Very funny guy. Yeah, it, it was mostly that, and then get get moving moving in with uh, my wife. Really, well, she wasn't my wife yet; she was my girlfriend. <laughs> Did you have plans even then? Was it like this is this this could be? I could lock this situation down. Ah, yeah. Well, we discussed this. We had so many, uh, like, serious talks about everything in the early days, and we had a nice holiday. In fact, this was, no, this, 2018, we started dating right at the end of 2017. So we went on holiday together uh, to uh, Santorini in Greece, and we had a really good time together. It was the first holiday I've ever been to with, like, with a partner or someone where there was no falling out, no negativity. Oh, wow, yeah. So we had such a lovely time. There was... um. It, we we did this thing, this couples thing, where you do like you write down things like what you want, what's you what, what you out of out of life, what's what how you respond to things, just you know, hmm. see compatibility and understand each other. And there was one bit I always remember that we still laugh about. We were sat on the beach, um, on uh, in Santorini. It was a lovely day. Uh, we I, I was drinking a little beer. She was uh, having a having a nice milkshake thing, and then she turns over to me while I'm reading a book and excitedly goes, "Will it is time." And I go, for what? And then pulls out a big packet of biscuits and goes, Bourbons. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I also met her, uh, met her parents that year. Uh, I went to went, I went to Germany. Wait, did she set like an alarm for Bourbon o'clock or something? No, she's just got a very <laughs> okay. uh, quirky sense of humour at times. <laughs> there was a lot of good stuff, uh, a lot of good stuff, a lot of gigging, a lot of busy gigging with comedy. And I think towards the end, uh, I, I, I ended up leaving a job I hated. Way. Then, it, which was which was an emotional time, but it uh, uh, to cheer me up during that time, uh, I bought myself an Oculus Rift VR headset. With some oh, there we go. Yeah, that, that helped me. And then uh, I got uh, got a job, uh, my last job, which I which I left a couple of years ago, which was a really good job. And from there, work stuff has pretty much been great. It was a fantastic year for me as well. I um, I've been a I've been a comedian most of my life. Um, and I segued into writing for the comedians, like kind of, and and not gigging much at all. Mm. Um, and that was a, a fun journey, but 
it was frustrating frustrating i couldn't really get much traction um i'd worked on with comedians on lots of different edinburgh shows um and things like that um but i wasn't i just wasn't becoming like a viable business i didn't have any profile at all mm. and then in 2018 i got to write for mock the week i got to write for the apprentice you're fired i got to write <laughs> for uh, roast battle on comedy central and then I got commissioned to write a pilot for Comedy Central as well and got to be part of the filming of that in London. Excellent. Like it was just this insane six month period of big, big thing after big thing happened for me um, in terms of comedy. And that set me up from that point on. Um, that as on your CV meant that I could work with. With people, people were were coming to me and were really interested to work with me. I got to work with some fantastic people from that, and and um, it really sort of changed what I was doing. So it was an exciting year for me as well. It's good. Um, world events: the beast from the east storm approached. <laughs> the Met Office warned of potential risk to life. Heavy snow and low temperatures hit the UK. Freezing weather swept in from Russia, causing huge disruption to businesses, travel, and school. I it was it was the start of the year, wasn't it? I think. I, um, I remember it was awful. Yeah, I had to cancel um, one of my monthly comedy nights. It had been running for like 17 years at that point Oof. to cancel it because it was just, you know, I don't want people traveling out in that for a new material night. Um, uh, and also, I remember doing memes about it because the Beast from the East is the uh, nickname of professional wrestler Bam Bam Bigelow um, from the <laughs> of from East, East Jersey. East. Um, <laughs> so there was memes like. Uh, nothing but love and respect for my beast from the east. Picture of Bam Bam. Um, mm. Prince Harry married Meghan Markle and estimated, get this, Will, mm. 1.9 billion people tuned in to watch Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's star-studded royal wedding. Um, uh, yeah, so that's what happened. I remember her from Suits and being just, she's just a stunningly attractive person. She's, she's and very... always had been. She was, she was a large part of why I watched that show full of stunningly attractive people. Um, <laughs> but there was another like three or four. Um, a man tried to steal the Magna Carta from Salisbury Cathedral. Uh, Mark Royan, 47 year old from Kent. How did he try and steal it? With a hammer, Will. With a hammer. <laughs> well, you've always seen those movies involving cat burglars who were like sneaking in and going over like the light ray and how to trip the security systems. No, Mark Royan ran in with a hammer and just started smashing stuff. Bloody um, hell. The, uh, it's, a hundred and, sorry, it's an 805-year-old document, um, which in this country, right-wing gammon like to hold up in hospitals and say, I don't have to wear a mask because of the Magna Carta. Um, <laughs> he, was yeah. chased, he was chased by the public, caught by police, sentenced to four years in prison. That's it, not that, that bad, is it, really? Four years? Yes, yes, yes that's, that's, that's quite lightly. Using the Magna Carta as a, as a justification for anything you want to do is has oh. the same energy as people going, this is exactly like 1984, and they've never read 1984. It's, using the Magna Carta in, an, in any kind of argument only happens from people that read the Daily Mail. Um, <laughs> Banksy's um, work sold for $1.4 million. Wow. And then immediately self-destructed. The, remember this? The girl <laughs> with the balloon oh, yes, yes. was in the frame, sold for yes. $1.4 at Sotheby Auction, <laughs> and then as the gavel fell to seal the sale, it dropped into a shred, a hidden shredder in the frame, I, and yeah. was destroyed. And I, how much it was, a, because it was a, a, a hidden bidder, so how much of this was a PR stunt by Banksy is unknown. I, I have um, a funny thing with Banksy, because it's like, I... I 
I'm perplexed by the amount of like you know, you know everyone falling over him. But like this, this I was like, yeah, fair play. I'm I'm totally with you. That was a great. Whether it was a PR stunt or a prank or a statement or whatever, I don't oh, care. It yeah, was man, the, the, the Disney World thing that he built was incredible <laughs> yes. as well. Yeah, um, uh, I see you sneaked an event onto this list, Will. Um, Red Dead Redemption Two was released. <laughs> uh, it would become the eighth best-selling video game of all time. Don't know why we're talking about it then. Eight uh, with fifty million plus copies sold. Well, we are and talking about the seventh the worst, best film of the twenty-first century. One of the worst. I think genuinely the worst video game experience I've ever had <laughs> was playing this POS after you told me to get it. It was hor- I I was awful it was it, so bad i i tried for three or four days yeah and took it back to the shop and got rid of it Terrible i it, it took me a long time to get get on with it but it that's what you want you for do. a game isn't it jeez <laughs> uh ksi and logan paul fought in a celebrity boxing match which ended in a draw no one could have seen that coming um are we gonna have more of those apparently there's getting more of those celebrity boxing matches happening well logan paul is kind of I, I hear from people that should know he's apparently a, a pretty decent boxer. He fought, he, he fought all sorts of people, um, and I, I don't know. He's going to be doing lots more stuff like that, so I, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Um, in music, Kendrick Lamar's album "Damn" wins the Pulitzer Prize for music. Since it was first established in 1943, the award has historically only been granted to classical and jazz artists. Wow! If you have not heard that album, if you like hip hop in any way, "Damn" by Kendrick Lamar is something else I, okay. I, I you know it's a great thing to watch uh, to listen to sorry um speaking of incredible things beyonce headlines coachella with any i i you know i'm not someone that owns a lot of beyonce albums or anything um i recognize good pop music mm. her coachella performance is something else it's just what an incredible spectacle uh, she's the first black woman to ever headline the event, um, a visually complex show. The New York Times wrote that there would not be a more meaningful, absorbing, forceful, and radical performance by an American musician uh, this year or any other year. Wow. Uh, Charles Gambino dominated the internet with the uh, music video for This Is America. Do you remember oh, that being everywhere? God, that was so... I mean, the, the song was great, but the music video was like, yep, this is, this is cutting, cutting satire. The song was... I like Donald Glover. I'm not sure about his rhymes. <laughs> um, I don't know. The song was probably the best thing Charles Gambino has done. Mm. And, yeah, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> uh, K-pop went global in 2018 as BTS won the Time magazine reader poll. Um, reader survey the most popular figures of the year. The most popular figures of the year. Wow. As written in by the readers. Um, I still don't know anything really about BTS or K-pop, but I know I'm they're so huge. Out of, I'm so out of touch, and I hear people going, "Oh my god!" And that's you know they're good, and then I see like, "Oh, they're headlining a big stage or something," and I'm there going like, "This really got past me." Is this just because I'm getting old and I'm at, um, I'm, I'm, out, I'm not with it? Probably, but yeah. but also I I'm I'm I, I'm able to expose myself to quite a lot of contemporary. I mean, stuff that's in the charts, right? Mm. I don't really hear much of their stuff. Um, Paul McCartney scored his number one, his first number one solo album um, debut in September. Paul McCartney debuted his latest album, Egyptian Station, into the top spot in the Billboard 200, the first time in 36 years that he has had a number one album. There we go. Top singles of the year, God's Plan by Drake, um, One Kiss by Calvin Harris and Dua Lipa, Shotgun by George Ezra, Mm. Perfect by Ed Sheeran, 
Um, sorry, I always say his name like that, and I don't know why. <laughs> Thank you, next, by Ariana Grande. Do you recognise any of them, Will? Shotgun's the only one I know. Ah. Thank you, next. That was a big that was a big one. I might know it if I got if it got played to I'm so bad with modern pop. Thank music. you, next. <laughs> Thank you, next. That's the song. No, I don't know that one. Um she recreated the Mean Girls movie for her music video. And she went oh. so far as to like get actors that were in the movie and just bring them in to like <laughs> dance with her and stuff. It was oh, that's cool. Else. Um, sure, unlimited wealth, yeah. <laughs> um, in the world of television, HBO aired the first seasons of Succession and Barry. Um, it's been quite impressive, really. The first, uh, the first uh, year for those who went on to kind of win so many awards. And they, um, uh, they, they, uh, they both finale this. They both ended this year. Great shows. Yeah. Um, Derry Girls, a British. Well, would you call it? I don't know if you. Well, it's Northern it, Ireland, yeah. so it is British. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He, he says very aggressively, gripping a copy of the Daily Mail. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd feel tempted to call it a Northern Irish teen sitcom, but sure, yeah. yeah. I feel the same with, with with when it's a Scottish sitcom. I was saying the British sitcom. <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah, okay, sure. fair play, fair play. Uh, Derry Girls aired its first episode on Channel Four. I it took me. I mean, I in I didn't. It's not a laugh all the way through show for me, Derry Girls. Mm. But I, I, it's one of those shows where I really enjoy the characters yeah. in such a way, in the same way that I think I did Royal Family. And though it's quite, yeah. it's quite, it's quite different. It's quite like a heightened, um, exaggerated reality. Um, but yeah, and I. And I, I it was really interesting. Really I really good. loved it, uh, but I was one of the few people who thought that season three w- was quite weak, and everyone else was like, "No, it's the best." Oh no, the best season, best I, season. I didn't get on with it. The episode about all the parents, the you know, the, oh, the I like Dairy that Girls, the yeah. finale was something else. Um, mm. We get the first uh, female Doctor Who, although yeah. that's not how you say it. We got the first female Doctor. In Doctor Who, um, <laughs> but you can't say the first female Doctor because that just sounds like the first Doctor. Yeah, <laughs> and that's not what happened. But it's not Doctor. <laughs> the character isn't called Doctor. Doesn't matter. Uh, the Walking Dead suffered two huge cast departures as both Rick Grimes and Carl Grimes left the series for good. Why carry on? I don't know, but they did. I, I stopped um, watching it before this happened. I think so. I don't know what. Yeah, happened you don't there. like the show, so uh, at its moments. Uh, it had about four brilliant seasons. Um, but yeah. In the movie world, uh, oh, sorry, we also was Killing Eve debuting. I don't know if you got to see that, man, but Killing Eve, oh, that's a great show. Okay. Um, it debuted on the BBC on both sides of the Atlantic, introducing us to MI5 and the anal- analyst, can never get that word, mm. Eve Polastri and the terrifyingly charming killer Villanelle. Um, really great show. Uh, managed to get my mum into it as well, which is always nice to find something hey, if- that. I Everyone find really it. enjoyable and my mum can enjoy because mm. it's it's a slog sometimes. <laughs> Let's watch another programme about someone that wants to buy a house, but then at the end, they don't. Um, <laughs> in the movie world, yeah. uh, Black Panther becomes a cultural milestone. Um, a movie featuring a predominantly black cast directed by Ryan Coogler. The movie um, was hailed as a celebration of black culture with CNN saying it put the issue of representation right at the heart of Hollywood cinema. Similarly, Crazy Rich Asians, which is really funny, um, became a smash hit in the box office as well, based on the best-selling novel by Singaporean author Kevin Kwan. The adaptation marked a momentous shift for diversity in Hollywood by starring an all-Asian cast for the first time since, like, 1980-something. Mm. Um, and it grossed $238 million worldwide. Um 
And Time's Up pins and black and white attire featured prominently at the Golden Globe Awards as stars promoted the Time's Up movement. Highest grossing films, Will? Um, Highest grossing films. Of 2018? Yes. Right. What first do you of, think? Oh, so, oh do? sorry. I, I don't know why I'm about to read. I'm, I'm, I'm used to reading out money. So, right, right. Yeah. Um, we might think that Infinity War uh, took the top spot, but it didn't because the money it earned in that 2018, it could not shift Black Panther from the top spot. Um, so Black Panther took the most money in 2018 with 700 million plus. Uh, Infinity War took six, 678 million. Um, Incredibles 2 with 608 million. Um, Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom, 417 million. And Deadpool 2 with 318 million. Um, a massive, uh, massive year for superhero movies. Um, also out that year, um, if you consider Incredibles 2 part of it, uh, we also had <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, Venom came out in 2018. Aquaman came out in 2018. And Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Wow. Um, the huge, huge year. Um, for superhero movies at the cinema. Um, do you remember it being a year you went to see a lot? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I saw Black Panther, I saw Infinity War, I saw The Incredibles 2, Deadpool 2, yes, didn't see Venom, didn't see Aquaman, didn't see the Spider-Verse, didn't see Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oof. Yeah, I missed out on a lot there. I and you're not, a t- you're not a TV guy either, are you? You don't watch... You know, like, you watch a streaming thing after yeah. it's done when it's like... You know, when this is a thing that, like, you strike me as someone that, like, wants the kind of something that tells you, a review or something that lets you know this is going to be worth investing your time in. Yeah, sometimes I need that. Well, sometimes I'll see it anyway because I've made my mind up. Like, I'm a fan of this franchise or this series or this thing. Oh, yeah, sure. But new stuff. But new stuff, I'm very like, I, I need someone. Sometimes it's like some people I know whose film reviews I trust. Because I don't know who to trust with film reviews anymore. Not since Mark Commode <laughs> said Spectre was great when it oh, clearly not. was a bad film. In the Marvel Universe, um, well, I mean, this is, didn't happen in the Marvel Universe. This happened in the actual universe. Stanley <laughs> um, very sadly passed away. He was um, at a good age, 95. I worked with a comedian. Oh, gosh, where was she from? I can't remember where she was from. Different different country, um, different culture, different language. Um and uh, we had a, one of the wonderful things we got to talk about was death and the <laughs> uh, the different kind of expressions with death as well. And she's learning and she's spoken English tremendously, um, but doesn't know all our idioms. And so we got onto death. And I said, one thing you'll hear when someone dies uh, in Britain is that we'll say good innings. Yeah. And she was like, what does that mean? And I said, well, in cricket, an innings is this. Right. Goes, so what we mean is they lived a long time. <laughs> and she's like, what? Because yeah. Yes, they they were they were alive long enough to play a lot of cricket. And she said, "Is it going to do with cricket?" Like, no, the person does not have to have played cricket. Um, so yeah, he had a good innings there, ninety five, good crack at the bat, as we'd say. Um, in the Marvel Universe, um, f- the Fresh Start initiative was launched. Will um, so before Fresh before two thousand eighteen. We've had an awful lot of what you might call legacy characters mm. uh, dying and being replaced. So Tony Stark ends up in a coma at the end of Civil War Two. His armor is then donned by Doctor Doom, which <laughs> we can't. I mean, that's something else. And and fifteen year old genius Riri Williams kind of replaces Iron Man as the new 
uh, tech-based iron armoured hero Ironheart. Sam Wilson replaces Captain America as Falcon. Uh, sorry, replaces Captain America as Captain America. Um, Laura Kinney becomes Wolverine for real. Once Wolverine dies, Laura Kinney is the clone of Wolverine, um, a female clone. And Jane Foster became the Mighty Thor when Mjolnir began to um, uh, follow her call. And also Bruce Banner died and Amadeus Cho became the new Hulk, the wow. totally awesome Hulk. So that had been going on for a while in comics. Um and kind of like just changing his characters, freshening them up, introducing new versions of the character. Something that has been it guess what? Lots of what American what I guess you call them American gammons. Ameri gammons <laughs> got really annoyed at all this, as if it hasn't been happening since the nineteen fifties, since the sixties. No one like no one is angry at like at, at Barry Allen for replacing Jay Garrick as the Flash. Because they are the same colour. Um, so what happened in 2018 with the Fresh Start initiative is we saw a return of Steve Rogers, claims the mantle of Captain America. Tony Stark is back as Iron Man. Um, what would you call Thor? Odin's son is, is back as Thor. Mm. Uh, Logan comes back from the dead. Things like that kind of happened. Um and uh, yeah, that's that was the kind of the big uh, the big event. Um, the relaunch also saw the return of Marvel's first family, the Fantastic Four, uh, which had broken up following the conclusion of the Secret Wars storyline. Um, Peter Parker and Mary J. Watson reunited and resumed their relationship for the first time since their marriage was retconned out of existence by Mephisto in uh, One More Day. Um, and we also saw a brand new incarnation of the West Coast Avengers, um, which consisted of Kate Bishop, America Chavez, Quentin Quire, um, and Gwenpool, a lot of younger characters as well. That's what's been going on in 2018. That is the landscape as Infinity War explodes onto screens. Let's take a little look behind the page now at Thanos and how we get to the uh, stories that give us the Infinity War movie. Um, we go all the way back to the 1970s with the creation um, of Thanos. Writer-artist Jim Starlin um, says he conceived the idea of Thanos during a college psychology class. Um, Jim Starlin said, I went to college between doing military service and getting work in comics, and there was a psych class I took, and that's where I came up with Thanos, inspired by Sigmund Freud's concept of human death drive, or Thanatos. Oh, um, oh So I when I got jobs in, 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 uh, in the comic books, I came up to Marvel, and editor Roy Thomas asked if I wanted to do an issue of Iron Man. I felt that this may well be my only chance to ever create a character, not having the confidence that my career was going to last anything longer than a few weeks. So Thanos got jammed into an Iron Man story in the 70s. Wow. Thanos was a much thinner character, um, and Roy Thomas suggested beefing him up. Um, so he's beefed up quite a bit from, his original, from my original sketches. Um, and later on, I liked beefing him up so much that he continued to grow in size. Jack Kirby had done the New Gods at DC Comics, which I thought was terrific. He was over at DC at the time. I came up with some things that were inspired by the New Gods. You'd think that Thanos was inspired by Darkseid, but that was not the case. When I showed up, in my first Thanos drawings, he looked like 
If he looked like anybody, it was Metron. Um, Roy mm. Thomas took one look at the guy in the Metron-like chair and said, Beef him up! <laughs> if you're going to steal one of the new gods, at least rip off Darkseid, the really good one. Um, so that is... Um, that is how the design of the character came to be in the initial concept. And for years and years and years in, in comic book circles and f- fandom magazines and message boards, um, Thanos and Darkseid um, are forever compared to each other. There is a lot of similarities between them. So much so that when DC and Marvel merged their universes to form Amalgam Comics, um, check out our bonus episode on Patreon now, um, Thanos and Darkseid merged to form Thanoside. Uh, because they were just very similar characters. Um, so Jim Starlin, di- career in comics didn't last just two weeks. He took over art and writing duties on the Captain Marvel comic. This is not Carol Danvers. This is Captain Marvel when Captain Marvel was the Cree warrior, the Cree soldier Marvel, mm. and that's where he introduced, uh, reintroduced Thanos, who quickly became Captain Marvel's biggest enemy. Stalin penned a long, sweeping cosmic adventure in which Thanos sought to gain ultimate power by stealing the Cosmic Cube. Um, the Cosmic Cube was like the one of the first, perhaps the first element in the Marvel Universe that, that had ultimate omnipotent power. Mm. Um, and Captain Marvel is where Thanos first did battle with the Avengers. Um, Stalin then was involved in killing off Captain Marvel. Um, he, he left that comic uh, and began working on a comic book called Strange Tales, which featured Adam Warlock. In this title, Stalin transformed Adam Warlock into a fascinating cosmic hero. And this is where he first introduced the concept of the Infinity Stones for the first time. Although in the 70s and throughout into the 80s, the Infinity Stones were known as the Soul Gems. Um, Stalin brought Thanos back first as an ally of Adam Warlock um, and then later as his bitter enemy. Um, as once again, the Mad Titan chased ultimate power and had to be stopped by a, uh, an opposite number. Jim Stalin then left Marvel Comics and spent most of the 80s um, making creator-owned work for himself, but also working for DC Comics, where he wrote the main Batman title. Jim Stalin wrote Death in the Family, where Jason Todd Robin is is murdered and killed off. Ah, um, I, read, I read that recently. How did you find it? It's, it's insane. Mm, yes, it is. The Joker... In full Joker makeup, yeah. is an ambassador for a Middle Eastern oil co- country, which gives him diplomatic immunity and lets him murder Robin and not be arrested. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a crazy story. Um, and so during this this kind of this period of time when Stalin's away from Marvel, like the whole eighties, pretty like nobody else had ever really used Thanos. Um, despite the fact the character is owned by Marvel Comics, he was seen as like a Jim Starlin character. And I suspect that he was viewed almost suspiciously by other writers at Marvel and creatives, like a character that most other writers didn't get and didn't fully understand. Um, so Thanos died the last time Jim Starlin was writing him, and he was left dead during and dead and buried during the 80s. No one resurrected him. Um, and then at the end of the 80s, 1988, Steve Englehart, is writing the Silver Surfer comic. And one of his storylines involves the Soul Gems and Mistress Death. And he asked if he could do a follow-up story 
in which Mistress Death would resurrect Thanos and use him to get revenge on all her enemies. But Thanos was such a small and forgotten character that editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics Tom DeFalco did not know who Thanos was. So he had to have the character explained to him, at which point DeFalco liked the idea so much, he didn't want Steve Englehart to do it. He wanted to save this idea of Thanos working for dead and going after all her enemies and have it in a a kind of a summer crossover event. Mm. At the time, the modern summer crossover didn't exist. But there was a format that Marvel had experimented with called the annual crossover. Mm. So they'd had a storyline called the Evolutionary War, which didn't appear in any... Each comic book, Will, has 12 issues a year. Mm. And then also, in the summer, they release an annual. Ah, Not like like what we have in this country. Not the hardback things that we had. Rupert the Bear's annual and all that. (laughs) The the Tiz was annual. Not that. And a comic book a superhero like Marvel DC Annual comes out usually in the summer, once a year, um, and it's oversized. So it's longer than 20, 22, 24 pages. Mm. Um, it costs a bit more money. And the stories don't always tie in to what's been going on the month before um, or the month after. They're usually kind of a, a separate story, like um, kind of a one-and-done story. But Marvel had this thing called the Evolutionary War, which was a, a crossover event that took place in a whole bunch of X-Men um, and Avengers kind of annuals over the summer. It was a unique concept that hadn't been done before. It worked quite well. And so Tom DeFalco thought, oh, you know what, Thanos coming back and going after a bunch of different superheroes, that could be a nice, that could have, you know, in Spider-Man's mm. annual, he go after Spider-Man. And then in the in the next annual, you know, in, in the X Men annual, you go after the X Men, and the Avengers annual, you go after, the, you know, and it would all be tied together by one thing, but it wouldn't necessarily need to be a big contrived story. So that was the plan that was being kind of um, put together, and what Thanos are being saved for. So at some point, Tom DeFalco realizes that nobody at Marvel really understands Thanos. He himself had only just learned the character existed. So if they're going to bring him back in a major way, it'd be best to do so with his own creator being involved. So Jim Starlin is invited back to Marvel Comics to write this this Thanos story, um, which was now planned to be a story crossing over into multiple different characters and their annuals. Starlin's plans for this new Thanos story were influenced by his most recent readings – the work of psychoanalyst Wilhelm Reich, um, the autobiographies of apprentice shaman Carlos Castroneda, and the science fiction novels of Roger Zalanzi. Mm. And Roger Zalanzi's novels feature morally complex protagonists, often tinged with death, and the battles between man and gods. Um, Stalin has said, the basic concept for the story stemmed from the fact that I was raised Catholic. I thought, what if God wasn't this benevolent being, but instead, what if he was this mad, psychotic creature that would raise havoc in the universe? I wanted to make Thanos into a mad god, and the Infinity Gems were the way of doing it. Stalin began this complex story in the monthly issues of Silver Surfer, which he was then appointed as the writer of. 
Mm. Thanos is resurrected as an agent of, of, of death and Stalin approached this new story with the belief that it would be the final Thanos story ever told. Wow. That he would kill Thanos off or come up with a an appropriate ending for Thanos and the Marvel would let him finish the character and put him to bed and he could move on to something else. How wrong he was, Will. <laughs> Things quickly spiralled away from the original plans. As Marvel had recently been purchased um, and the new owners, New World Entertainment, um, mandated that all intellectual property be exploited to maximum potential. It wasn't good enough to just have the Thanos story happening in the Silver Surfer. Mm. To capitalise on the excitement surrounding the character's return, in 1990, the story was spun off into a special two-issue limited series called The Thanos Quest. Written by Jim Starlin, in which Thanos traveled the galaxy, obtaining all the different soul gems, which he then renamed the Infinity Gems. And at the end of this special limited series, Thanos has retrieved all the gems and made himself omnipotent, approaching godhood. The Thanos story then carried on in the pages of Silver Surfer, where the creators believed the story would remain until it concluded... But guess what, Will? <laughs> the what? sales of Thanos Quest were so high that Marvel went, ah, we've got to exploit this some more. <laughs> so Thanos' story was to be concluded then in a special six-issue limited series to be called the Infinity Gauntlet, uh, which would see Thanos battling some of the biggest characters in Marvel Comics. He had to expand beyond the Silver Surfer, beyond Adam Warlock and Thanos. And it had to now include the Avengers, the X-Men, Spider-Man, everyone. This was really the birth of what is known in comic books as the summer crossover. Whilst crossovers had taken place before, like Secret Wars that we looked at, they existed solely as just like a limited series. It's going to be this seven characters, it's going to be four or five issues and done. The Infinity Gauntlet was this six-issue series, but the events of the stories would impact the Marvel Universe as a whole, and it would impact tons of other Marvel comics. Characters that weren't even in the Infinity Gauntlet limited series would deal with the ramifications and the events of the Infinity Gauntlet in their own way, battling all the fallout of Thanos' mad plans. And these comics would carry banners on the front that would say an Infinity Gauntlet crossover (laughs) or tie-in. And so if you wanted the full Infinity Gauntlet story, you read that. The characters that took place in the limited series, uh, like Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man, their own comic books would portray the events of the Infinity Gauntlet, but from their unique perspective. So let's say you read issue three. There's a big fight between all the heroes and Thanos. When you read that month's Captain America, you would read about that event from Cap's perspective, perhaps more of the build-up, perhaps the aftermath, whatever it might be. So all these other comics were tying in to the Infinity Gauntlet in a way that had never been done before in comic books. It was such a success that was replicated and kind of forever became what Marvel and DC Comics did in this summer. Um, without the Infinity Gauntlet, we, you know, laying the groundwork, we wouldn't really have had things like Secret Invasion, Civil War, House of M, things like that. Marvel needed to find 
a superstar artist for this very ambitious project. And luckily for everyone, they were able to poach George Perez from DC Comics. Now, George Perez came to prominence um, penciling Fantastic Four in the Avengers in the 70s for Marvel. But then in the 80s, he was part of creating the new Teen Titans. Um, absolutely smash hit series. It's a highlight of my youth when I, I got the first... Well, I got I got it reprinted in DC Action, but it's a bombastic front cover, um, injecting new life into these teen characters. Very much wanting to kind of like have a teen comic to rival the X Men's. Mm. It became DC's top selling series, and several times it became the number one comic book in America. Um, and George's artwork so well thought of when DC Comics launched their incredibly ambitious exploding of the Marvel of the DC multiverse and rebuilding it with Crisis on Infinite Earths they tapped George Perez to be the artist that did it that is incredible um it, it really is his artwork and that is something else and following the rebirth of the Mar- of the DC universe I can't <laughs> I'm struggling to say DC is a Marvel <laughs> following that rebirth George Perez was chosen to relaunch Wonder Woman as the writer and the artist to reboot the character, come up with a brand new origin for her, brand new start for the character, just like they were doing with Batman Year One Mm. at the same time, just like they were doing with um, Man of Steel for Superman. So George is known for these incredible widescreen, double-page spreads for his really um ambitious and artistic use of panel construction um where panels would crash into each other and and be put together on the page in an interesting way and for drawing like highly detailed group shots of multiple characters that thrilled readers do you remember we looked at the justice league versus avengers comic yes i remember that and those those images of the artwork that featured every single avenger ever and every single Justice League member ever, oh, all on God, the page. Yeah. That was George Perez. Um, he, he's, his highly detailed group shots are just something else. And his work on Crisis on Infinite Earths held to this day is some of the best, greatest comic book art of all time. Despite all these accolades, Perez at the time was feeling really slighted by DC Comics. Um, they refused to invest in his latest like comic book series miniseries that he was doing called War of the Gods. Um, they weren't. They were only releasing War of the Gods in um, comic book shops. They weren't giving it enough copies to go out there and be in newsstands and supermarkets mm. and where the, where the huge amount of the audience is. And he felt really slighted by that. And then they de- effectively demoted him. He'd been the Oof. writer and artist on Wonder Woman, relaunched the character and everything. And they DC Comics came to George and basically said, you're no longer going to be the writer, you're just going to be the artist. Um, and so he was fed up with DC, quit them in frustration or didn't renew his contract which was perfect for marvel comics because his contract was coming up and that same month they needed somebody for infinity gauntlet so george perez initially attacked infinity gauntlet with gusto um he asked jim starlin to increase the number of characters appearing in the story so that he could return to marvel in a really big way and knock fans socks off by having all these superheroes on the page. But this kind of dream team of Thanos, Jim Starlin, and superstar artist George Perez was headed for disaster. Uh-oh. Perez 
was still walk, working on the last of his contract with DC Comics. So he's juggling this miniseries War of the Gods with Infinity Gauntlet at the same time. When he falls behind in both projects on his schedule, he tries to quit War of the Gods, but DC tells him he's contractually bound to complete it. Um, partly because of this stress, partly because of some other things going on in his personal life, and, and the fact that he's been used to being a writer for many years as well as an artist, not just, here's the script, draw it. He became overly critical of Jim Starlin's scripts for Infinity Gauntlet. It led to a lot of friction um, and disputes between Perez and the rest of the team. And his lack of enthusiasm as well is said to be a reason for why he started to work slower, mm. fall behind in schedule. It eventually became clear that Perez is not going to be able to meet the deadline for the fourth issue. So editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco replaced him, uh, which is a real big thing because George Perez is a big star. Um, but if he can't hit the deadline, in comes another artist called Ron Lim, who was already working with Jim Starlin on Silver Surfer. Uh, and Ron Lim, who is not a superstar, he takes over as the artist for the uh, the final issues four, five, and six of the series. Um there was a concern that sales would drop without George Perez. But in actuality, the strength of the story, sales went up and up and up. <laughs> issues four, five, and six were the best-selling issues in the in the series because it was such an, inc- an insane story and no one knew what was going to happen next. And it really establishes this artist, Ron Lim, as a superstar artist in his own right, um, even though he wasn't really before this series began. The Infinity Gauntlet enjoyed tremendous sales. It sold so well that it also boosted the sales of all the comics that it crossed over with. So, like an absolute nothing comic that was called Sleepwalker, which hopefully we'll do one day. Oh, yeah. um, Sleepwalker, which was not selling well at all, had a big boost in sales because it was an Infinity War, an Infinity Gauntlet crossover event. Ah, <laughs> um, there we go. And that's how you do it. The the, the comics, the, the Infinity Gauntlet comics, cost at the time two dollars fifty when you buy them from the shop. Hmm. The resale, the series was so popular, the resale value of that two dollar fifty comic was ten dollars you could turn it around in a month and like sell it for so much more um and despite the intention for this to be the final thanos story marvel comics especially at that time cannot walk away from the kind of money being brought in so the infinity gauntlet and its players was spun off into a sequel the following year that sequel in 1992 was called Infinity War. Another summer crossover event. This time the story impacted every single character in the Marvel Universe in the hope that it would give a sales boost to everything going on. Um, And sales of Infinity War were so good that in 1993, a second sequel was released, Infinity Crusade. Mm. Um, And there was even an ongoing monthly comic called Warlock and the Infinity Watch, which dealt with the Infinity Gems going forward. Um... It was a monster, monster hit, um, and it led to just like three, four, five years of dominance of Thanos, Adam Warlock, Silver Surfer, Cosmic Infinity characters. Sales would spike, Will, 
27 years later. The collected trade paperback of the Infinity Gauntlet was in high demand when this movie came out, (laughs) and it became the best-selling collected edition of 2018. It's only fitting on this epic episode that we have an epic mailbag. Don't forget, if you want to get in touch with us, you can drop us a line, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at Marvel versus. And Twitter's a great place to follow us. You can find out what's going on in the MVM-verse. Um, Will, let's get into it. There's so much wonderful, wonderful letters and things and comments people have sent in about this, uh, this movie and about what we've been doing recently. Oh, it's a humongous bag. Let's get to it. So, Mr. Mike Lord said, Avengers Infinity War is an incredible achievement weaving together multiple storylines into a tense, exciting narrative. The two and a half runtime just flew by. There's so much to enjoy here. Thor's teen up with Rocket and Teen Groot, Iron Man, Doctor Strange and Spidey in space, the fugitivist Avengers in Scotland. The film opens with Thanos' attack on the refugees guardians as does not let up for an instant. It juggles 20 plus characters but nobody feels underused or sidelined and everyone seems to get their moment to shine. Except for Ant-Man. The Russos don't feel the need to force characters together, keeping the separate threads going and building to a climax where even though our heroes are in two separate locations, it feels like one singular battle for the fate of the Earth and the universe. What I liked about that as well is it felt like when you read crossover event comic books, there's normally multiple characters and teams doing things at the same time so you'll be reading what the x-men are doing during this event and what the avengers are doing during this event will be separate um and it kind of had that feel to it yeah i i i I spotted that i love so much of this movie he says it was like reading a big comic of comics event that starts in initial thought and jumps across various titles as the story oh well there we go thank you mike yeah there are big epic fight sequences like the battle of wakanda and some great dialogue T'Challa's and get this man a shield is a personal favourite. And that ending, I knew it was going to be a two-part movie, so it was bound to end with the Avengers defeated, but I was not prepared for the extent of the devastation wrought. Some of those deaths hit hard. I saw this film three times at the cinema and enjoyed it more each time. Thank you, Mike. Um, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know if I went. I don't think I went in thinking it has to end with the Avengers defeated. I went in thinking it's just going to be part one of something. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't think it was going to end with everyone defeated and then we start. You know, we start everything all I, over again with the next one. Yeah, I it know was, because because you're better than everyone else, aren't you, Rob? <laughs> no, I was I was wrong, Will. I was wrong about oh, this. Sorry, wasn't I? sorry, it sorry. It did end sorry. with everyone defeated, yeah. but Mike was saying, oh. of course, because it was a two-parter, it yeah. had to end with. And I'm saying, I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't have that feeling. I didn't go into it thinking, oh, it's going to end with everyone defeated. I like, don't know what I was expecting, other than it would be... Like, I, I, I always felt like... Um, what movie is it? I think it might be The, the, the Two Towers, maybe. Well, one, of the Lord, one of the yeah. Lords of the Rings movies feels like it just kind of ends. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> off they go now to carry on walking. See, And I, I was like, I never liked that, but I could see that happening. And it could just be, to see the rest of this movie, come back in two years. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I knew something bad was going to happen, but I didn't think defeat either, to be fair. David Fan said, I don't think there Big was... Big fan a t- of ours. 
Big fan. Big Sorry, fan. fan. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> I don't think there was a time I had been more excited for a movie to come out in my entire life. I'm 34 and probably seen thousands of movies. The ending made me feel like family members had passed away. Ooh. Oh, I know that feeling. In the US, it took nine days after release to find two tickets to Endgame because every seat at my local cinema was sold out when I finally found... Sorry, it was sold out. When I finally found two seats, I pre-bought the seats and waited 48 full hours. The anticipation, <laughs> excitement, and uncertainty of the outcome was unbelievably heavy. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it was an emotional roller coaster. There's so much, like, hype, and people are so desperate to see it. And then... It does deliver thrills and spills, but then also breaks your heart. I mean, that yeah. is perfect Marvel. There's another Marvel movie that did similar, um, uh, you know, more recently. And I remember talking to my um, my friends, two two little girls that had seen it, and one of them was just like, "I hate it." And my my best friend refuses to see yeah. one of the recent spy uh, movies uh, because she's heard that there's all this heartbreak going on, and she's like, yeah. "I don't, I don't. Why would I want to subject myself to that?" He goes, "Because that's." Marvel. Yeah. Thrills, spills, anticipation, and heartbreak. Exactly. Zubair Qureshi said, absolutely loved it. Cements Thanos as one of the best movie villains of all time. I also loved seeing all the characters interacting with each other, which I was looking forward to for a few years. Also, one of the best cliffhangers to a film. Can't say anything bad about it, to be honest. I, I'm I'm starting to remember now. Uh, thank you, Zabair, um, for all these recollections and memories. Just how much the selling point of Infinity War was the crossover. Just how much yeah. it was. Okay, in Avengers, we brought together these characters. Now, in Infinity War, we're going to bring together the Avengers, the Guardians, Spider Man, and Black Panther. And how much that was like a major a major reason to go. Yeah. Mark O'Neill said, I cashed in my Staff Member of the Month award at the BFI IMAX for four free tickets and as much food as we <laughs> wanted. Whoa. Doubt they still do this. Yeah. Midnight premiere. That that's sounds amazing. You, that's like that's like 20, 40, 60. That's 80. That's probably 80 quid plus free food. That's, that's, a, that's a lot. But that, that's, that sounds like a Today, good night, though. Today, yeah. that's huge. My most stand-up memory is the silence at the end credits. I worked for IMAX for over a decade. I've seen some hard-hitting stuff and some very interesting reactions, but after this film cut to black, it was like a war memorial. You could have heard the film running through the projector if it hadn't been a digital copy. 500 Uber nerds just sitting in stone silence, and it continued all the way down the stairs to the exit. Powerful stuff. Thank you, Mark. Um, that's reminded me that I heard today that because Marvel pushed the Marvel's movie back and adjusted when it was coming out, mm. it now can't get any IMAX theatres in America. Damn, that's a shame. Because they're all booked up for Dune for like like six weeks of Dune. <laughs> so they can't, they can't, I mean, that's going to cut down hugely on the kind of uh, showings they can do. To be um, fair, the movie takes six weeks to watch, so. <laughs> no, this is the next one. I know, I know, I was joking because right. I know they're long okay. films. Of, I, I do love, I did love June. Looking forward to this next one. Anyway, Lucy McClude said, I couldn't stop crying at the end. Mm. Peter Parker's last words to Tony Stark got me the most, found the ending horrifying and traumatic. That, yeah. When I said earlier that, like, I didn't really have the same experience a lot of people did. Yeah. Um, with the snap, but um, Tom Holland's performance and. 
Peter Parker, it, it, that yeah. bit is just so. That is really uh, that emotional. Gets me ev- every time, not a joy you know, from me from that bit. Every uh, time, and when he comes back, what does he get? He gets that hug he didn't get in <laughs> yeah. the first Spider-Man movie. You know, oh. when he needs up, he goes, "We're not there yet. Get out of the car." And then when yeah. he comes back, when he you know blips back, he gets that hug. I am really looking forward to doing Endgame because this is like this. As much as I love this, this feels like the emotional speed. The trauma episode. The trauma episode. Welcome to the trauma episode. (laughs) Marvel versus Marvel trauma edition. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly what it is. Michael Wilson said, "Loved it. Saw at the cinema. This was the Empire Strikes Back of the MCU. Dark." moody with a sense of dread purpose Thanos was an amazing villain his motives were his own the action was amazing, the pacing was spot on the cliffhanger ending genuinely made me want to see the next part Thank you Mike Adam Blaze said I went in to see this as a, uh, I went into this as a casual fan and I thought it was great I'd seen the previous movies but felt like it was easy enough to follow and didn't include any exclude any uh, audience members I think that this, alongside Endgame, is where Marvel should have taken a well-earned break because it was always going to be hard to replicate the success of those movies or build the same level of momentum going forward. When the stakes are as high as they were, where do they go from there? I enjoyed this film as an adult and I would have enjoyed it as a kid because I think they got the tone just right. It had the right balance and knew when to switch from funny to serious. My only criticism with this movie, as with a lot of movies, is its use of of uh, pathos. This no, is where the- bathos, bathos is what he's trying to say. I think bathos. Yeah. Okay. This is where they can undercut a really serious moment or threat with humour. Not a huge issue, but once you start to notice it, it can take you out of the moment. Guys, I am begging you to take some sort of media course. This has been de rigueur since the 90s in movies. At some point, we as a society realized that in a postmodern world, making post kind of modern action adventure stories, it's hard to portray some of these wild events with a serious straight face. Yeah. And it, everything undercuts, everything, it, virtually everything uses some line of humor to undercut, like, almost tropey dialogue like we've got to stop the rocket or blow up the earth like it's not the 70s anymore you can't leave that hanging there um it's fine if you don't like it don't beat marvel with a stick when it's been everything since the 90s carry (laughs) carry on please will before i get mad no i know i know this this is what it's like when i talk with him about 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 mcguffins but we won't talk about that peter halifax said i remember being in awe of the scale of the project it was deeply impressive Five years on, though, I have had zero desire to rewatch, and I've not seen another MCU movie since Endgame. Infinity War slash Endgame wrapped up the decade prior so well. Seems pretty stupid to me, Peter. <laughs> I liked this. It was amazing. And so I vowed to never see anything else again. Okay, cool, bro. Whatever. Hope enjoy your Fast and Furious movies. Javier, Javier uh, Jarquin said... I saw it in a packed cinema and it was one of the best movie experiences in my life. I remember thinking that the first Avengers movie was going to be too ambitious and this was that times 10 and it smashed it. But this didn't feel like an Avengers movie, more so a Thanos movie. Outstanding. David Fan's... Oh, oh no, I put David Fan there twice. David Fan is back again. Hello, David. David. Fan- 
<laughs> Juzi Papaladi said, I've watched this movie as part of my Marvel Marathon in lockdown. Now, I remember watching the end of it and being completely shocked. I could not sleep. I could not think of anything else but the freaking aftermath. How people waited for Endgame is beyond me. Genuinely one of the best experiences ever. Cannot remember being infested in something so much ever since, but blimey, the anxiety. Thank you very much, Juzi. Uh, I... I'm very, very pleased that I got to experience the wait. Yeah. I, I, I really am. I mean, being able to immediately put on Endgame is a different... It's just a different vibe entirely. Oh, absolutely. It's... it's, it's oh. I know. I think, I, think, I think the wait pays off better when you, when you finally see it. The anticipation builds up and then boom. There's something... My, my, my godsons are on holiday right mm. now. They're in a caravan, right? which means they're watching terrestrial television for the first <laughs> time in their tiny lives. It happens to them about every year. Yeah. And I got a text message saying uh, the 10-year-old is repeatedly trying to explain to the 6-year-old what terrestrial television is because they're experiencing a world without immediate on-demand gratification. That doesn't happen to them. It never happens to them. When they want to watch Teen Titans Go, they watch it. When they want to watch another one, they watch another one. When they want to watch Sonic, they watch... Like, everything is there for them. It's on YouTube, it's on Netflix, it's there. Um, And the the six-year-old is trying to wrap his head around... (laughs) The ten-year-old literally said to him, when we stop watching the television, it keeps playing because other people might be watching. But even if other people aren't watching, it still keeps going. Bloody hell. But that, the, the more that I think um, anticipation, delayed gratification goes away, anticipation goes away, I think it's kind of not good for us in general. But, I mean, I'm not. I, that doesn't mean I'm going to be cancelling my streaming services subscriptions anytime soon. I'm part of the problem. Yeah. But we all know, succession showed us, man. Succession showed us. It is so much more satisfying and rewarding to wait seven days for the next episode. And that's been true for a long time, but people just refuse to admit it. And they say, no, 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 no. I want every, I want to be able to watch everything all at once or whenever I want. No, tough, tough. It's no. better when you watch something and have a week to digest it and to look forward to the next thing. I'm not sure if... Uh, what is Endgame two years after this or one year? One year. It takes it is one year after. One, one year is pushing it, isn't it? But I still think it's re- a really more positive experience. Absolutely. Well, we had Captain Marvel to keep us going, really. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Sam said, just finishing listening to the 1977 Spider Man episode. Three hours, 55 minutes. I don't know how you keep doing it, but please we, never stop. We, we do it, Sam, because it needs to be done. The first ever Spider Man movie. We can't deliver anything less than greatness to you guys. So, yeah, three hours 55 on the first Spider-Man. It's got to be done. Got to be done. Uh, And I'm already and eagerly awaiting the Infinity War episode. When the movie came out, I could not have been more excited. The trailers had promised so much. Thor meeting the Guardians, an insane battle in Wakanda, and so much more. And the boy, boy, they didn't disappoint. 
For me, this is the perfect MCU movie with the right balance of humour, drama, action and emotion. I know we had two Avengers movies already, and a third if you count Civil War, but this just seems so much more ambitious, I think because it was the start of the culmination of every phase so far, and they really hit the mark with the script and the structure of the movie. I can't wait to hear more about the comic book background. As always, thank you, and keep up the good work. Uh, that's pretty. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, I, I yeah, I I don't view these two movies as like Avengers movies. They're kind of Avengers movies in name only. These yeah. are Marvel crossover movies, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. The the first two Avengers movies felt like Avengers movies. Infinity War and Endgame don't really feel like Avengers movies because it's so much more of it is the Guardians, so much more mm. of it is Black Panther in and Doctor Strange. It feels like. The MC an MCU summer crossover movie, you know. But there you go. Yeah, that, that, um, that Avengers has become a brand name, I suppose. <laughs> I guess. Dave Stevens said, "This wasn't a movie; it was an event. Hype for months, packed cinemas, a truly shared experience where you could feel the emotion around you." You did a great job of struggling multiple threads and staying coherent with Earth Avengers, Space Avengers, Thor and Co, and the Guardians all having separate journeys. It could have got very messy but it stays focused on building the presence of Thanos. You could feel the stakes, and you know there's going to be a cost and a cliffhanger, but the mass dusting, the sweeping cull of heroes where literally anyone could have been taken, was perfect. I only wish I could forget I'd already seen it and watch it again. I remember some people were, were using a hypnotherapist to like uh, try to remove their memories of seeing the Harry Potter movies or something so they can go and experience <laughs> them all over again. Um, mm. That'd be an interesting thing to do, like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but for movies. But for movies, yeah, it's just like no, not for a traumatic breakup, just because I want to watch Star Wars again. Yeah. <laughs> James Kenneth Allen said, "Went to the midnight screaming, and it was the first time I've seen a film in the UK that had an American reaction to it. Gasps and cheers when people were snapped or appeared. The Thor arriving on Wakanda scene was amazing, and you generally leave it thinking, Christ, how are they going to pull this off?" The year wait was agonizing. Yeah, I I don't remember like that American um we're not judging you, America, but we do find it very peculiar when you do things like applaud as the plane lands and <laughs> have a vocal reaction to a movie. Um I don't think I remember I remember it decisively for Endgame. I don't think I remember it for this movie. Yeah, um, Endgame was something else. We'll get to that, but oh yeah, I, I remember. I remember a lot of silence. That, that's a, that's a British reaction. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so finally, we have King Canuck who said, "Hey guys, man, Infinity War. I thought we'd never get here. That was my sentiment when the film with the films as well. What an event." Leading up to it, I was fully with the Marvel fan base, theorising at full tilt as to where the last Infinity Stones were being hidden, and with the Soul Stone being the last one to go after Doctor Strange, the tension was high. I had one major worry going in. There's a trope of dialogue slash fiction that I can't quite name in a succinct way, but it's this awkwardness cringing of, what? Magic is real? Or, wow, alien heroes, what? I was really, really dreading that when Iron Man met Doctor Strange or the Guardians, but thankfully... It was absolutely smooth. He's from space, and he came here to steal a necklace from a wizard, and Peter just runs with it. No problem. <laughs> I love that bit, too. I audibly gasped when Thanos snapped. I think the whole theatre did. 
It's so hard to explain the sheer hype around this movie when it was coming out. Reddit even had an event where half of the users who willingly submitted to a sort of lottery would be banned from the Marvel Studios Reddit and receive a badge for being snapped or surviving. Fortnite did a Thanos event. It was mad. The worst part, though, was having to wait a full year for Endgame. Thankfully, we had Ant-Man 2 and uh, Captain Marvel to tide us over, but that's for another episode. A question for Rob. Do you think Thanos is more interesting as a severely deluded warlord who thinks he's bringing prosperity or as a raving death-worshipping engine of destruction? I think both have their place in the multiverse. Um, hmm. Maybe that's um, a better question for Will to answer. Um, I'm not sure. I, I see, here's the problem, King Canuck. In the original stories... Thanos mm. is not like a. Uh, he is a raving death worshipping engine. He is so many more layers. He is is so much more. I think he's a much more interesting character in the Infinity Gauntlet. In the eighties to nineties, I think, I think Thanos is a much more interesting character than in these movies. Um. Because in the original story, like modern modern day comic book Thanos. Uh, has unfortunately just become like a lot of like a lot of modern superhero stuff he's just a tough strong person evil blah, blah. like he's not complicated anymore when jim stalin writes thanos he's incredibly complicated he is a pathetic character and that idea that shallowness that pathetic nature that that twisted pathetic person begging desperate for attention getting the infinity gauntlet that is thrilling and exciting and it has so many layers the way the infinity gauntlet ends in the comics and what it says about thanos is genuinely more exciting and interesting to me than hey guess what guys never going to believe this the bad guy he doesn't think he's a bad guy He's got a unique perspective on the... Like, we've seen an awful lot mm. of that in modern, sophisticated storytelling, especially in the MCU movies. So, and I, I think the comic book is a lot more interesting. Um, but maybe that's a question for Will to answer once we get through with our deep dive bonus episode for this month. And hey, guess what, Will? I mean, thanks for writing, King Canuck. We love you, baby. Um, guess what, Will? It's a perfect time for us to segue seamlessly into our section. That's right. Our deep dive bonus episode for August is the Infinity Gauntlet. Yes. It is part one of the epic Thanos story that Jim Stalin puts together through the Silver Surfer, the Thanos Quest, and the Infinity Gauntlet writ proper. It's a lot for us to tackle. We're going to dial, deal with a huge amount of it in this episode. But for the full comic book deep dive into the stories that inspired this movie, you're going to find it with us on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. It's where all our bonus content lives as we have a community there that helps make episodes like this possible. This takes, as you can see by the episode length, Hours and hours and hours of our time to research, write, record, edit, and put these shows together. We don't subject you to adverts. We are supported entirely by the community, entirely by people like you. want to give a massive shout-out to Peter J., Brandon Schmigilski, Randall Schmidt, Bastabir, Sam, 
Bindi, Supi, Jack Davis, Billy Brown, Zubair Q, David Fan. There are top top tier subscribers we call them the world-class wrecking crew those are the cats that really dig extra extra deep into the coffers and help support this show financially to make it possible um and uh to reward them with all sorts of cool bonus things and we've got to welcome some new people will we've got mm. some new patrons to uh, join the community this summer yes summertime patrons uh, eli b We've got Robert joining us. We've got Adam Joyce, who I know has been listening for a while and finally uh, came aboard. Um, we've got Marcus. We've got James Bull. We've got Dave N., who I believe came to one of our live shows in Leicester. Um, oh, nice. Finally joining uh, joining that 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 community online. Um, and we also got Toby Pearman. Uh, <laughs> you've seen Spider-Man. You've seen Batman. Get ready for Toby Pearman. Um, I think it's probably Pearman. Um and we uh, we also have those guys who joined us for the uh, for the first time uh, as part of our summer expansion into your homes. Um, those guys all did the right thing. They realised it was time to give back to this podcast, to this community, and it's thanks to their support we're able to make huge episodes like this one. As we said, our bonus content lives on Patreon. There are seventy five bonus episodes available right now. This month. It is the deep dive big episode on the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, it's only available patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. We'll take you through the resurrection of Thanos, his quest for the Infinity Gems, his battles with the Silver Surfer and Adam Warlock, his obsession with death, his alliance with Mephisto. Can you believe and imagine? It's not just Thanos. It's Thanos and Mephisto and wow. just exactly how powerful that Infinity Gauntlet is. Join us this month for part one of the Infinity Gauntlet. It's mega. There's going to be two parts of this bad boy. It's only available on Patreon. Um, and you'll also get access to 38 other... Sorry, 37 other... Um, no, 38 other deep dive bonus episodes um, ranging from Kang Dynasty to Maximum Carnage, to Wakanda Doom War, all mm. sorts going on there. Plus you get early access to every um, main show that we do three days before the rest of the world. Plus you get access to 33 mini-shows, including our obscure Marvel um, <laughs> spin-off that we do every month. It's patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. That's the community that keeps us going, that allows us to make these massive episodes. Please give us your support. Sign up, get access to cool bonus things. And on the other side of this break, the continuation of the biggest episode we've ever done. <laughs>